Bang. On the Empire Podcast this week, it's a local podcast for local people as the League of Gentlemen drop by. Plus, Peter Jackson and Philippa Boyens come in all the way from Tunbridge Wheels to talk about mortal engines. How exciting. All that and more on the movie podcast that is just now getting over the sort of cold that it was pretty bad. Here's how bad it was. Basically, if you'd had a coffee fit like this in Act 1 of a movie, you wouldn't be around to be in Act 3. That's how bad it was. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week I'm joined by not one, not two, but three colleagues of such lethal cunning, all of whom have come into my germ emporium, taken their lives into their hands. And one of them has a hard out because of a meringue wreath, and I'm not making that up. That's true. Yes. Helen O'Hara, geek queen, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I, I've made a meringue wreath. What's and a meringue wreath? It's like, it's like a pavlova, but it's... Do you put it on a, the door? It's a, like a pavlova, but it's in a ring shape instead of like being a disc. And so then you essentially treat it like a pavlova, but it looks prettier. But you don't hang it on the door. Why would you do that? Because it's a wreath. It's a wreath. Yes, but also you can eat it, so why would you hang it? You make a compelling argument. But why would you shape it into a wreath if you're not going to... Like, do you lay it on someone's graveside? Well, I was going to lay it on the table and then have it eaten, but like for the five minutes before it's eaten, it'll look really pretty. So is it all meringue? There's no other to it? Well, there'll there'll be whipped cream and fruit, obviously. I always feel like a a meringue should be the topping on a lovely sort of lemon pie, sort of like a lemon meringue. But you realise that there are other uses for a meringue. Also, I called it yeah, a but inferior uses. Let's be honest. No, no, I, I disagree. I is think it soft or hard meringue? It's actually a bit of both because it's a pavlova. Ooh. So what? Like hard exterior, but then soft interior. In, indeed. Okay, I approve of your meringue. This is a pavlova palava, <laughs> and if you're listening to the podcast My for the pa- first time, then the man meringue explaining to Helen who has baked more meringues than he will have ever eaten is James Dyer. Sorry, that was my pavlovan response. Oh, that's oh, very good. That was okay. Yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah, you get a point for that. That's <laughs> good. Uh, welcome, James. How are you? I'm good, point. thank you, Chris. I'm good. I'm really, really fancy a lemon meringue pie at this point. That is my absolute favourite dessert. Well, none. I will say that I used the leftover egg yolks from the meringue to make um, some, not lemon, but some passion fruit and ginger curd. So I could, I now have, you know, the equipment to make a kind of pie. So you, so you literally just, just have a jar of passion fruit and ginger curd? Well, I mean, I have several jars, but yes. <laughs> just in case of some sort of curd-related emergency? Well, A, they can be gifts, and B, you can spread curd on toast, and it is amazing. You could carry it around with you, or, or, or I mean, how much do curds weigh? Ugh. Okay. Okay. Little bit over here. He's lost minus one point. He's back (laughs) to zero. I'm back to zero. Sorry. No. Oh dear. Not having that. (laughs) Let's move on and introduce the third and final colleague of such lethal cunning, Ben Travis, star of the hit BBC sitcom. (sighs) You meringue, my lord. No. I don't know what sitcom that is. That was pre nineteen ninety one. That's pre wasn't it? yeah, it was yeah. a bit too young for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. The um Your sitcoms are all like rock and roll and have got like hipster people in them, like Noel Fielding. Yeah, I was I was prime prime age for Boosh and I beg your pardon. Uh, Peep Show. I was probably too you young for Peep sicko. Show, but that didn't stop me watching. Yeah, uh, it's the best um, ones. I mean, obviously the Channel Four sitcom, not anything seedier than that. The 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 phrase meringue wreath has now sent me into flashbacks of how rogue Paul Hollywood went on the Great British Bake Off this year when he started <laughs> getting them to make biscuit chandeliers and like was, charred pitters and oh it was, just, it was there was a there was a what was it a vegan week uh, I mean yeah. I've got nothing against vegans obviously but don't lose your job here Chris that doesn't sit well with me my friend ah. uh, they're wonderful people and I bet they taste great uh, but. 
That's totally fine, isn't it? That's, you could say that, but a vegan week in a baking show? What's that about? Anyway, yes. let's move on. Shall we have a question? Yes. All right. The question, by the way, and by the way, Helen, um, thank you for fighting us all around to eat your meringue wreath. Um, no, I assume the invitation is forthcoming. I made it for a, a different dinner party that I've already been invited to by someone else. I actually brought with me cheese biscuits. I've already snubbed those. Yes, you have. And James <laughs> also snubbed them. And so only no, Ben gets baking I, in future. No, no. I ate one. You I just said one. it wasn't as good as a Ritz cracker. I'm just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Snubbed. So, so you did not get the Hollywood handshake from James, did you? <laughs> so y'all can go jump for your dinner party, frankly. Oh, my word. Yeah. That was another bone of contention this year on, on Hollywood, on Great British Bake Off, wasn't it, mm. uh, Ben? That he was just, he was handing out handshakes. Handshakes all over the place. Mm. Yeah. I mean, after years where, you know, you had to really put yourself through the ringer. Like, you had to do not just a, a meringue wreath, but you had to do the whole graveyard in mm. order to get a Hollywood handshake. But... He was just firing him out. Like he discovered what that thing in the end of his arm was for. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, oh, sorry. I forgot we were dealing with the host of the popular <laughs> podcast, the <laughs> Pilot TV podcast, which is dedicated to... Cinematic hit. television, Chris. We don't do desserts. Oh, my God. What could be more cinematic than dessert? But since it is basically about a bunch of people making cakes, it's not really very exciting. Have you seen it? That is Have a lie. I, I did. I watched one episode of it. They made some kind of weird lattice thing out of some kind of confectionery that looked a bit like a windmill sail. I just can't even. No. He doesn't understand, Chris. No. He may but never. I just don't understand watching a show about desserts where at the end of it you don't get to eat the desserts. To me, that's it's all foreplay, no main event. I need to Do you think to the TV the is designed by Willy Wonka that you can reach <laughs> in through the screen and, and just grab it and then, just, and then eat it? Yeah. That's what I need. It's about watching really likable people. And it's like the same on every cooking show that I like as well. Mm-hmm. MasterChef and even MasterChef The Professionals. It's like watching people at, at the top of their craft do the thing that yeah, really well. good at. Yeah. Really, really well. That's why people listen to this podcast, man. <laughs> <laughs> why, oh, why, why are you laughing? <laughs> they want to hear the people who know about the stuff say the things about the stuff that they know about. Why are they listening to this podcast then? Uh, that's a good point. Helen <laughs> is the meringue wreath of the Empire podcast. I mean, I feel like that's meant as a diss, but <laughs> meringue wreaths are freaking awesome, dude. I, yeah, I'm absolutely. I'm there all day and all night long for a meringue wreath. What have you made? What have you made? What have I made? You can't even um, make a curd, James. Come on. I, I, I wouldn't even begin to know how to make a curd. I like lemon curd. It, I mean, it's basic, but fine. How, what is it made of? What's in lemon curd? Like, presumably lemons. Lemons, eggs or egg yolk, depending on your recipe, butter and sugar. See, all of these things I'm in favour of. Mm. If you want to hear James extol the virtues of cinematic TV, <laughs> what could be more cinematic, as I said, than Hollywood? Yeah. Hey, see what I did there? That's clever. You can check out the Pilot TV podcast. Join Keith, their other listener. <laughs> <laughs> and, and listen to... Uh, James and the other two talk about TV that's, that's going to be a lot of fun then again what's the point of this segment because as we all know I'm going to cut this bit out anyway let's have a question the question comes from Mike Daisley and it was via email and it came in two parts it was a bit cheeky but it's a compound question that's fine do you rate films that you don't review for the magazine what I think he means like mentally yeah do we okay. or maybe on Letterboxd or, or something like right. that and the second thing is if so how many five star movies do you each have this year we all rate everything, don't we, really? We reduce everything to a star rating. <laughs> Most things. I've never settled on a star rating for Speed Racer. I literally came out of that film and I was like, 
that is somewhere between a one and a five. And honestly, I could make a case for any of them. Yes. <laughs> it's all the ratings at all times it for ge- various different reasons. It, it genuinely kind of is. It still baffles me. Um, but I, I do probably mentally rate things because I've been institutionalised here for many, many years now. Yeah. Um, I uh, I don't put them up anywhere. I don't necessarily letterbox them or anything like that. I, I do sometimes review them for other people. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. But uh, but yeah, I, I I guess it's just it's a mental thing now, isn't it? I was lucky enough to review a couple of my five star films this year. I reviewed um, Mission Impossible Fallout. I reviewed a little film you've probably never heard of called uh, Avengers Infinity War. Um, and and there were a bunch of others. You know, obviously we're in the middle of Oscar season at the moment. I'm watching loads and loads of awardsy films. Um, stuff like If Beale Street Could Talk, I would nail a five stars to immediately if I could. Do you have a list of your top 10? You, you obviously do because you submitted I, one. Yeah, I submitted it. a top 10. I mean, the problem is obviously Empire, because of you know print schedules and everything, our top 10s have to be in in sort of October and there there are films that would have made the list since. Uh, stuff like stuff we're going to be talking about today, in fact. So uh, that ties neatly together. Is it two of the three films we're two, talking about two today? Of the, would... Two of the films we were talking about today would have made my list, yeah. Would you make for your five star list? Uh, one of them I, I wouldn't give, I didn't give five stars to, so I gave four, but it was a really high four. I think it's mm. a fantastic film. Okay. Ben, how many five stars on your list? Um, I was thinking uh, I probably four. The really standout ones for me would be Infinity War was instant nailed on five stars for me and has remained that way every time I've watched it again. Uh, Fallout, again, Mission Impossible Fallout was an instant five star for me. Um, going right back to the start of the year, Shape of Water is another Ooh, instant five star. I know you don't like the fish film, but it's lovely and it's so well crafted and it's everything I love about Guillermo del Toro in one film all brought together. I think it, uh, yes, it's easy to forget what this year's, like start of this year's Oscars Mm. stuff was, but that was the one real standout for me that was just like, this film has instantly worked its way into my heart and I already love it. Um, And in fact, we've just uh, recorded a spoiler special for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and that is a a nailed on five for me as well. Um, Yeah. I'm really glad uh, John Nugent re- reviewed that for us and, and he went five stars on it as, as well. And I just thought it, it excels in so many areas and it was such a joyous cinematic experience. It's the exactly the kind of thing that I go to the cinema for that I really hope for every time I sit down just to be like blown away and massively entertained and um, to be kind of intellectually stoked by how well a, a made a film can be. Um, so I think those would be my instant five stars. But there's also mm-hmm. things like Phantom Thread floating around, which oh, yeah. is one of those films that I think on on first viewing, it was definitely kind of up there, at least four stars, maybe more. But then I, I kind of can't stop thinking about it. And the music has been on in the office quite a lot. And I haven't had a chance to revisit it yet. I think some of those films, um, to really cement that that kind of all out yet yeah, five stars, I don't see what more this film could have done, mm-hmm. need those repeat viewings. But um, uh, yeah, a few really stood out for me from just from first go. I agree with some of those. Uh, Mission Impossible, I would have given a four. I wouldn't give a five to. And Fish Fucker, absolutely not. I'd rather take this week's fish film over that one, but there we go. A Quiet Place is a nailed-on five-star film without a shadow of a doubt. It is demented that we gave that four. Uh, that I'd is, give it four. That I'd is, give well, it four, I think. You're both but that's fucking on first idiots. Spider-Verse, I would give five to as well. I think definitely Infinity War also. But I, I can't think of any others. I think with A Quiet Place, I really, really want to watch it again. But I think we spoke about this a bit when we reviewed it on the podcast. I felt so self-conscious while I was watching it because because of the sort of sp- the spell of the silence that it casts mm. and being aware of everyone else in the cinema and being very aware of the film as it's happening I feel like I would maybe 
if it's possible, relax into the film a little bit more on a second viewing. But from from first viewing, I I really really liked it and thought there was so much that was good about it. But that extra level of when a film just kind of carries you along and you just everything else outside of the film is gone. I didn't have that because part of the effect of the film is making you very aware of your place as a viewer. Yes, that's it. a very, very mm. good observation and very true. I saw it with Joe Public, so I think it was doubly so for me. Oh, how is, is he? Is he good? Yeah, he was good. Yeah. He's uh, also doubles as our pilot podcast listener. It was, yeah, there was lots of munching and wailing and gnashing of teeth in that one, which I found quite irritating and distracting, but it didn't take me out of the film and actually didn't detract from it for me. So that is that is my film of the year, but I'm sure we will get onto that in some detail in the Review of the Year podcast. That is the intention. We'll be talking about that uh, in great detail and all sorts of other things as well. That's going to be coming your way towards the end of the year, as you might expect. Uh, but a bit of a strange one for me. I'm looking at my the list, my top ten list that I submitted back in October. That will have changed since yeah. Mm. since then. And we're Same going to be here. talking about our top tens of the year on our Review of the Year uh, podcast as well. But in terms of five-star movies, I think it's been a really good year. I'm not sure how many five-star films there are. I think there's usually like five, five or so per person. Yeah. You know, somewhere around there. Is uh, and that's a good year. And and the thing is, like four stars is not just a recommendation; it's a wholehearted, warm recommendation. Um, so it's not to say that we don't like the things that are four mm. stars. Um, in fact, sometimes I find myself weirdly enough revisiting and liking the four star movies more than some five star films. Yeah, because some films are undeniably mind-blowingly impressive, but not necessarily likable in the same way. And you know, there, there are kind of shades of these things. But yeah, I, I would say I would guess about four or five a year at most for me. I mean, I remember 2016, I had an actual top six or seven, all of which I thought were just great mm-hmm. five star films. But like, it's that's super unusual. I usually mm. I, I, I pull together a top 10 about five minutes before I have to submit it. That's interesting. I mean, for example, I'm looking here at my little top 10 and don't worry, I'm not going to go too much to the spoilers, you know, for the review of the year. But uh, I think Gay Night's fantastic. I think it's the cleverest mainstream comedy in years but is it a five star film I'm not so sure that it no. is Quiet Place I agree with James is a five star movie it's an instant classic uh, but I don't want to watch it again <laughs> really I don't want to watch it again because I don't want that 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 feeling that I had to be spoiled and I don't want to see the flaws and I don't want to start thinking about things like oh but hang on a second how do they fart <laughs> you know, I mean, I thought sneezing, but sure, Chris. But sneezing, yeah. like, but during the night, farting is something that you have no control over. I just, All right, so how do they do that? How do they get around that? Answer me that, Krasinski, with your handsome face and your big beard. Anyway, I'd say that the greatest movie of the year hasn't been released yet, and that's Holmes and Watson. So look out for that. <laughs> and of course, we all gave five stars to Rampage. <laughs> so well done, Rampage. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, as Mike Daisley found to his satisfaction, you can get in touch via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. This week, also use the hashtag Meringue Wreath. Make sure that we can see that as well. We're on Facebook as Empire Online, and you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Time now for our first guests this week. And I said guests. Uh, the League of Gentlemen are incredible. They've been one of the funniest comedy troops in this country for the last 20 years. They are a quartet. You'll know them as mainly Mark Gatiss, Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton. They're the performing members of the League. They have a non-performing member, Jeremy Dyson, the writer as well. He's the co-writer of Ghost Stories. Uh, they've done other things. 
uh, outside the league of course inside number 9 Sherlock ghost stories all sorts of stuff but they came together this year for a tour and some specials on the BBC as well the tour the League of Gentlemen Live Again or Live Again is out now on DVD you can check it out right now and all four of them came into the pod booth recently to have a good old natter with me and much fun was had by all enjoy uh, we are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the League of Gentlemen they are here Hello. 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 At once. It's amazing. Mark Gatiss, Steve Pemberton, Reese Shearsmith, and Jeremy Dyson. How are you all? Good? Yes. All very, very good. good. Thank you. Yes. Good, good, good. Reese and Steve are sharing a microphone. We are. We so, are. And hopefully, there won't be any problem with it. Hey, we've had Norman Rossington. <laughs> Norman Collier. Oh, yeah. Who's Rossington? Rossington. Rossington. British character actor. You know, Rossington. You know, he's famous. Yes, Norman uh, Collier. Sorry. Rossington yeah. Collier. Yeah. Norman Collier. But, yep, microphone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Uh, how are you all? The, the, uh, the new live DVD is out now, and I loved it. It was amazing. Uh, but I want to know how to pronounce it. Is it the League of Gentlemen Live Again or the League of Gentlemen Live Again? I, both. It's both, but I, in my mind, for me, it's live. Okay. No, it's live. Live. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's live. No, no, live again. Death blind, neither both. We, we conceived of it as a horror type thing, didn't we? Like yeah. a Dr. Fibes. So again. I think it's live, yeah. Okay. And was that uh, something that you conceived with at the very, very beginning when you, you came back together again and thought, In we're going to do a live yes. show? Or live show? The live show. <laughs> the live show. We could have called it the League of Gentlemen Yet Live. Couldn't we? Uh, <laughs> like, that's very horror. I like the idea Egyptian. that you have to hold the two ideas the different ideas simultaneously in your yeah, mind requires which is what some the world effort. is missing at the moment <laughs> yes. unable to do that everything's become polarised true two yeah. ideas at once yes. yeah. yeah so it's a bit, a bit like Schrodinger's League of Gentlemen yes you're, you're both, <laughs> you're both live and live until <laughs> <laughs> you say uh, did the four of you often travel together isn't it a bit like the president and the vice president in case something happens at the same time that would be awful nobody's that bothered <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you who does that the Wiggles <laughs> oh, really? the Australian Australian children's oh. uh, group, well, the Wiggles. Yeah, they travel in two separate planes. Haven't they all now been replaced? <laughs> Probably <laughs> because the like, plane crashes over the years. Yeah, it's a different coloured top, isn't it? No, we we, we we often travel together, and we started off this tour in a sort of uh, <laughs> people carrier. Yes, and um, <laughs> this is the thing that happens every tour. Isn't yeah. it? Yes, and uh, that, that was nice for a while, and then Mark said, "Nope, sorry, we need to upgrade." And he um, was right. He was right too, because we thought. For some reason, we didn't have big journeys, but we did, and I'm glad we did it early yeah. on because there was long journeys, and we but, got to see a lot of daft horror films. Didn't and all, we? And that's always the best. Lots Honestly, of the best um, part of the, the tour, apart from doing the show for everyone, uh-huh. was getting back on the bus, onto the bus at night and watching bad horror films. And um, who done it? Of who done it? Yeah, we, we we had such a good time. It Wasn't was, it Britney Spears' it. tour bus? That was the well, one before was the original yeah. was. But I've now been told Paul Roberts, our promoter, I think he just spans a yarn. And get my living the Wurzels. <laughs> it was very nice. It was straw down. It was very nice, yeah. Uh, so it was an actual tour bus that was. It was huge, yeah. 14 beds on it. Only the three of us. <laughs> wow. so Slept in each one way. barely sleep, but that was the ludicrousness, really, of the excess. And this was a this was a pretty major tour. I mean, you did a lot of dates here in London, but where 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 did you go? Where did this tour take you? We started in Barnstable in a, in a, a theatre that held 400. No, it held more than that. Was it? Was it? 404. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my point was, it, we, we, started, we did a very small version of the show and then we did the O2 with the same, with the same show, but bigger, uh-huh. bigger performances. Hmm. But we went everywhere, didn't we? We did the north, up and down. We, didn't, um, we went right to the top and bottom. We went to Ireland, 
mm. right from Scotland all the but, way down. Uh, it's yeah. actually, it was, of the three tours, it's the shortest one. The first one, we did 111 dates. This one was 47, although that was over several months, wasn't it? Wow. So, oh, you were in bigger venues, weren't you? Yeah. This time, yes, bigger venues, yeah. Yes. Some did. arenas we played in, Manchester, O2, Leeds Arena. Berlin. And... They were great. We were dreading those, really, because you're never quite sure you're going to get the intimacy and that the laughter is going to come at different points as the as the sound reaches yeah. the back. Yeah. Uh, but actually, we just we just found that um, people liked it, and it didn't really matter when people laughed. We just ploughed on regardless. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a physics question. Well, you couldn't, could you? Yeah, you just had to presume, especially the O2 when you can't get a collective. Yeah. Laugh back in one go. You just yeah. just got to keep sort of do it by muscle memory. Yeah. Leave a gap. Carry on. What's that experience like the first time you play a venue that big? Is it disorienting? There was a, my, my body memory, there's, there was a, a bigger gap between the stage and them than you'd ever expect. There's, yeah. You know, like the, the lights sort of stop and then there's another bit. Sometimes where you'd have an orchestra pit, there's, a, there's another gap. And then there's darkness and then they're out there and you can't see a thing. Yeah, you know no sense of them really. So, yeah. But as Steve says, it, it's surprisingly intimate, it's surprisingly a real rapport and... Um, some of them, like the O2 is quite difficult acoustically, but most of them are, are designed for yeah, it. Yeah, the Leeds one was, was yeah, great. Yeah. It didn't feel, you know, it didn't feel It was all, a funny, so. it would be different when we did the big venues and we had these screens at the side because there was an edit going on at the sides of our performances that we had no idea or control of that changed where the laughs were. Because okay. they could see things and it would cut to someone or it would cut to a member of the audience and that would get a laugh and it'd be like, mm. that's nothing to do with it. How do we know they weren't showing something completely <laughs> I know, different, they were, like well, airplane or something? <laughs> <laughs> or the Wiggles. Yes, or the Wiggles, yeah. Definitely the Wiggles. <laughs> I've never seen the Wiggles. Oh, um, you don't want to. Yeah. It's like a really amateurish sort of Rod Jane and Freddie, but Australian. Oh. But all Freddies. But massive. All <laughs> Freddies. <laughs> no James. No James in the Wiggles. All Freddies. They're massive. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few Rods. No, I'm huge. <laughs> But they're yeah they're huge. It's, they sell out. They sell out arenas. Jeffrey died, didn't they? Mm. Yeah, oh. yeah. Jeffrey Hayes. Yeah. The Fimbles would sell out arenas, don't they? And pick the pig and things like that. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a huge business. Yeah. So us on the O2, we're treading. We're thinking of you know Springsteen, and we're thinking. Yeah. No, Not it's really Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig. <laughs> the Giants. Yeah. Who's still Lazy, in these wins? Lazy Town. <laughs> yes. And he died. Yes. Died. Oh man. Television. I don't know. It's just what you're going to do, the Martha, the entire interview. Just remind us of people who died. Yes, it's what, it's what comes what if to we wander into it. <laughs> Maudlin. <laughs> just right for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Another one gone. Yeah. The League of Gentlemen Dead Again is on DVD <laughs> right, right now. Uh, and Jeremy, as the non-performing member mm. of the League, what, what, is your, what, what, is, what is your function <laughs> during, during the well, live show? it used shows? to be as a kind of sanity barometer yeah. on previous tours. Mm. So, uh, you know, I would you know, often go out for most of the shows in the first week or two and then let it settle and then particularly on the first tour I remember having left them for about three weeks and then not seen them and then coming back they were feral went back yeah they'd gone mad they'd literally <laughs> gone insane in, yeah, uh, and they started imagining uh, that an entity was following them round called the Bubble Angel. That was true, though. And... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't forgotten it. Yeah, it had the body of a, a, of a pigeon yeah. and a, a head like a cherub on the side of a church. It would blow... And it would be in the corner. It was like that bit theaters. in Hereditary when they just go... 
Yes. And that's yes. what it was like. We would hear, that was right. the noise. We that's had right. that noise in our minds yes. through all of the touring in 2002. Yes. Whatever it was. <laughs> oh so, but now he's just gone mad as well. So yes. Okay. So I, I, I just joined <laughs> in. Yes, Have I you seen it. the Bubble Angel? Is the <laughs> Bubble we Angel in the room right now? We didn't hear it on this tour, did we? It's gone away. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you came to a lot of the shows, didn't you? I did. I came nice. to quite a lot this time. I did. Well, the thing is, because now you really appreciate... Not that we didn't appreciate it before, but the specialness of just being together as a group yeah, and yeah. having had a period away from it. And so, yeah, any opportunity I... And just the lovely things like going out for a meal afterwards. And, you know, <laughs> it's all about... <laughs> it's stuff. Yeah. Just to meet, so we can meet. So we can meet, yeah. yes. But it was a lovely No, and also, I'll tell you one thing I loved was being able to take my eldest daughter to see it. Uh, which I n- never thought I'd have the chance to. And Amazing. I took it to see it in Sheffield, which was a lovely, one of the lovely shows. And uh, and then and 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 meeting the audience and people coming up uh, and everyone's older and they're, but they're all so grateful and it's it's such a special thing. It was amazing. I mean, to think it felt like we were just in our heyday. You didn't get a sense that it was twenty years old. No. It was yeah. honestly very, some seriously very yeah. humbling. People were just so delighted to see us doing it again, and also just it, it, there was a real brightness to that you know to that response it, it wasn't like being in a 90s tribute act or something we would i think people could tell that we were doing it because we wanted to not because we had to yeah absolutely and that comes across i hope in there so when did the decision to come back and do this tour and and obviously the, the shows you did last christmas as well when were they were they a package deal in it yes they were yeah. the way? it was contractually uh, <laughs> <laughs> obligation steve you are here for a contractual obligation <laughs> isn't yeah. No, we, uh, we'd been talking about it for a while, hadn't we? And we couldn't pin down what we thought was a 20-year anniversary. Uh, so we, we, we decided on uh, 2017 because that was 20 years since we did the first radio series, mm-hmm. our first broadcast thing for the BBC. And the Perrier Award. Well, and the Perrier Award, yeah. Of, yeah. So um, we'd been talking about that and we decided to do some uh, TV shows, um, which were the first ones in how many years? 15 years? Um, Yes, 15 in years. 15 years and, and, and then the, uh, the live show, we always were going to follow on from that. And, um, yeah, it was a total joy from beginning to end. And we kind of want to do more. I'm saying this now, they're all looking at me. <laughs> but um, we're not going to. <laughs> no, it was great. I mean, you know, we did... We always thought, in conjunction with the TV coming back, we could announce some live shows and yeah. then we would glean the interest. Because yeah, we had no, it became quite a funny thing to the countdown to doing it in front of an audience, not knowing how who there would be and what if it would be the same as it was when we were on the telly. And yeah, yeah, yeah. In our heyday, mm. it could have been very felt very different, but it didn't. The most lovely thing was because I can remember it was literally almost a year to the day we were stood when we announced that we were doing the tour, and we were there with Film McIntyre, who's our promoter, and we were set, and we didn't know if it was going to sell, and we said, "Will it? Will it sell, Phil?" And he said, "I don't know." And yeah. and he didn't know either. And then the lovely thing was the day the tickets went on sale, they just went. Yeah, and yeah. it was good. There's a lot of people still keeping it alive. So, so that yeah. was yeah. It was. I'm so- still trying to get tickets actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to tour again. You have to do it now. Yeah. Uh, but but putting the show together is fascinating because the show is broken down into two distinct segments. So the first segment is is old older material, and the second segment is new material. And no, that's not true at all. Well, newish. Uh, <laughs> yeah. first, How did you... Uh, there's some new stuff in the first half, yeah. and the second half, it's, it's, it's a bit of both. Isn't both it, yeah. across. But, but the, the thing is, the first half is deliberately, as we've done it since the first tour, sort of... Yeah. It's like Wizard of Oz, it's black and white to colour, and it's deliberately <laughs> sort of... Um, 
sort of lo-fi so that you can then like go into widescreen. Mm. So it's like an acoustic set of the first yeah. half. Yeah. 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 Stripped down version. Mm. And and that's the, that, it's that's tuxedos Steve's and it's idea very... was to go back to basics. That was the that was the first tour, wasn't it? And um and it really worked and we've sort of done that principle in all of them really of having a sort of smaller thing. So you when you come back you, you go, Oh look, they're doing they're doing the costumes and everything. Mm. But we try to vary stuff. So there's a lot of um there's new, there's new actual new material. Someone said to me the day I'd, I'd never seen that Mr. and Mrs. sketch. I said, "No, it's new." He went, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> As if it was the most extraordinary thing in the world. Uh, but then there's like you know the sequels to stuff on the TV. Yes, and there's variations on a theme. And the cave guide was new, but, and we did, yeah, so, oh, yeah, yeah. and we did, you know, the Pam Duv I did was cl- classic. But it was we never we'd never done, done it on stage, yeah. had we? So we tried to pick things that people oh, wow, okay. may know very well, but we'd never actually done them live. So the rule was we won't do anything live that we've done live before. Okay. Yes. And we the only thing we did do was card game. Yes. And we we added that in because we just wanted to start with something that people that all three of us could be in and that people would mm-hmm. cheer. Yeah. Yeah, that was a because that came in late, didn't it? So yeah. like, oh, we're doing card game now, are we? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to remember the rules. Yeah, it's a tough one to remember, yeah. I, I imagine. Jacks Does... are worth ten kings worth. <laughs> from one eye, Jacks. Which <laughs> we'll come to those in a moment. <laughs> 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 and Reese, I mean, during the show, I imagine out of the three of you, your voice is most fucked at the end of a of, oh, of the show. Of, yeah, it was all right actually. I always think you would think, wouldn't you, doing Lazarus, that it would be, yeah, and and shouting. But we all managed to keep. I mean, I think it's because we've got mics. It's not like theatre, theatre. <laughs> but they've also been to project with fifteen years of craft. Yes, as well, <laughs> you see in between. <laughs> and that's what you spotted, isn't it, when you saw the They're much more accomplished performances <laughs> going away, honing your honing your skills. <laughs> yeah. The, in terms of the newer the, the new material and the stuff you wrote specifically for the show, did do because I know you write in two pairs, mm. but yeah. do you write as a foursome at all for the for the live shows? How does that how does that work? We certainly came together to put it together because a lot of the of the construction of it was in the logistics of who's going to be off and we can put mm. that there. Mark can be doing that while we're getting into it, this, yeah. and all, the order of it yeah, that felt right, but also necessary <laughs> to be able to actually achieve <laughs> the changes. But um, it was a breakthrough. We had the Benice um, as one sketch, and she did all the Agony Ant bits in yeah, one yeah. go. And then okay. Mark said maybe we should use... That she could be on pre-recorded, and those bits could be the helpers out when we were all getting changed. So oh, yes, yes, yes. peppered throughout the second half and really helped as a continuing gag, but also was giving us, buying us the time to get changed mm. when we needed it. The interesting thing was the one. There was one thing that we did write as a group, which was the chinnery, because we, yeah, me yeah, and Mark yeah. had written a version that was too filthy, uh, <laughs> what? With, a, with a gorilla rather than a panda. Given and, how you end the show, that's yeah. Yeah. well. It was because we put it all together. And we realised it was just it nonstop. Was, yeah, filth. I said it's got to be <laughs> something. <laughs> so we, we had to reconceive of it. So we then we were literally all together. Well, let, what else? What other animal could it be? And then we worked it out as a group, kind of. Like, yeah. The pan, uh, yeah, it was a panda. Yeah, how will trick? it? Yeah, yeah. How will it? And we thought, what? How could it be? How could it be assassinated? <laughs> And Reese, that was you, wasn't it? As plop, and I plop, was plop, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. It required skin work, so I thought I should do it. <laughs> Immediately regret it. Yes, <laughs> it's true though. It was, a, it was a very touching performance, plop. Thank you. Yeah, and no, no one, no stage crew could have twitched like you did. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you were you were never in the uh, running for plop plop. Were you? No, I was getting changed actually, so I was not. 
available to he people. Was, mm-hmm. oh, he was getting his He's, yes. however, yeah. available now for skin work. <laughs> <laughs> and we still have the costumes. Yeah. yeah. Children's parties yeah. for mitzvahs. <clears throat> and Jeremy, I said that you're the non-performing member of the league, but that's not strictly true. You have popped up in the show from, from time to time. And uh, were you tempted to pop up in this one? Uh, well, I do pop up in it, but on videotape so that I don't have yeah, to video do tape. It's not videotape anymore, <laughs> no. it's pixels. That was amazing, wasn't it, to see those, those young people creating the Les, oh, yeah. Les McQueen I'm stuff as we there. went. Yeah, yeah. it's extraordinary. Amazing, yeah. yeah. It was also being conceived and put together, yeah. wasn't it, just on, on computers? It's around us. Well, we had projected backdrops for the first time. So in the first two tours, we had people lugging scenery, we had wooden sets, we had backcloths. And this time round, we had um, (laughs) Pepper's Ghost. We had uh, uh, projections of the back of the back. Yes, and so they went to Hadfield, where we filmed the League of Gentlemen, Uh and uh, they filmed specially uh, sequences depending on what location we needed, Uh and projected it onto the back wall, and it could be moving. So when you see the local shop, the the clouds are going by, the grass is moving. (laughs) Have you seen that film where the train comes into the station? (laughs) (laughs) Just staring and pointing, (laughs) disbelief. Such things are possible. Yeah. There's a little (laughs) black (laughs) imp. It's all magic to us now, isn't it? So you were never tempted to just parachute in for uh, an on-stage cameo every night? It might have been a bit expensive. (laughs) No, I was satisfied with sitting in the the audience watching myself as Maureen, which is Les Les McQueen's lover. Uh Uh, And and which very few people, I think, connected. A few people did. I I I clearly didn't. (laughs) Yes, lots of people thought it was Bob Mortimer. When you immersed yourself in character, (laughs) you would not come out of character at lunchtime, which is really impressive. (laughs) Or or, or even yet. (laughs) If you you can imagine Jeremy's hair in his... um, his (laughs) Shift dress. We should have put on the DVD as an extra the entire dance that we did for all of... um, Simple Orient. man. Which would it's been, probably it was, still there. It's really great. It's you really went for it. There is a... If you can perhaps clear something up for me because I, I couldn't see it in the credits or, or find it anywhere. But yeah, could, yeah, yeah. Could, could you take a look for me? I've got a little spot <laughs> in my back. Um, there's a, an American voice during the Les McQueen se- section. John Landis. Yes, it's John. We've got John Landis to do it. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I was trying to place it. I was yes. going, is that Elliot Gould? Who is it? Oh, it's Landis, yeah. <laughs> okay. How did that come about? Well, just through asking him, because I know him quite well now. I've been done Birkin hair, yep. and I sort of stayed friends with him. So, it, and we just, Mark said, should we get try and get John to do it? And he was around. It happened to be in London about two weeks before we needed the voice, or a week actually. Yeah, it was quite quite close, short. Yeah. And he came in one day and did it. Oh well, there you go. He was really um, determined to see it. He came to see it in Brighton. Brighton yeah, that was amazing. He loved it. He it I thought so I, British. I, I, I'm so used to this macabre. British, and then suddenly it's like a carry-on. <laughs> no, he, was, he thought it was great. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. John Landis, <laughs> extraordinary stuff. So the, the decision to come together and the, the fact that you were uh, away as the league for so long, and obviously each one of you has been successful in your own right as well, was that important in a, in a way in establishing success away from the league so you could come back together again, ultimately? thought about it consciously we just we, originally you know we did it virtually non-stop for a sort of 11 years we, we we always had a bit of a pact didn't we that we wouldn't sort of get distracted and do other stuff so we kept at it right the way from live to radio to the three series the special and the film and then we just sort of 
had a pause, had a stop. Um, so, and it, you know, it, people give give people time to miss you, and also <laughs> give people to, uh, give us time to think about what might have happened. You know, I think it's very different to go away for that length of time and then come back because you genuinely have nostalgia and affection for the characters, but also something might have happened. Well, and you've lived yourself a bit yeah, as well, because yeah. that was the other thing. I, you know, I think the first wave of material that we wrote was very much drawing on our whole lives growing up, wasn't it? And proper yeah. lots of lived stuff was in there. And then, then you go into the world of showbiz and you, you're in a different place. But I think that was another thing, coming back to it, having you know been away for that long length of time. Mm-mm. You know, you've had all kinds of experiences that... Mm can then end up in, in the comedy. Yeah, they, and they feed back into yeah. it, inevitably. And right. I think we managed to not end up being completely removed from real life with Royston Vasey, because that's what I think keeps it fresh for pe- and, and, and enjoyable for people. Mm. It's, it's grounded, isn't it, I mm. think, and, that, and people sort of enjoy it for that. But so, we did, I mean, however did, mad it is. Deliberately, we, we did it because we wanted to, not because we had to. And as yeah. I say, I think that's that was a huge part of it. Let, let's just... We didn't overthink anything. We just thought, let's have a laugh. Let's get back together and do something. And I think that's the spirit of the whole thing. And, and we did say, Jeremy reminded us, we did say, we'd. well, let's. it doesn't matter, let's write it. If it's rubbish, we just won't do it. <laughs> so we didn't have the pressure of thinking, we've got to do this brilliant... Ret- if you're going to return, you know, there's such... It's so perilous to return and have this thing that's so fondly remembered. Uh-huh. Probably more remembered, more lovingly than... And, more revered than it should be because of time. <laughs> so you can you can spoil it, can't you? By well, they shouldn't have done it. You know they've, they've they've lost it. So that's you know you're prepared to knock it off its pedestal. Mm. But we didn't. We thought if it's fun, we're, we're going to make ourselves laugh doing it. Then that's the right reason to do it. And we did. And so without without spoiling anything, there are there are sections in here that are sequels, if you will, or certainly continue the the story of the specials you did last year. Do you consider those to be league canon if you were to do more episodes of the TV show? Mm. Oh, I don't know. I don't think you could because you can't rely on everyone having um, seen it. Mm-hmm. But having think, said that... I mean, there's nothing that we've not done well, anything... Pauline's perhaps the most... would be the, the trickiest thing, would it? Yes. <clears throat> you'd have to do a catch-up where you... You'd just, it'd be like presume, the Dracula Prince of Darkness. Yeah, you'd just do it very quickly. <laughs> It's all a uh, minute and a half sequence yeah. Yeah. for the live show, and then you'll be all right. <laughs> because people saw it, they have not a clue what Lee was, and they still enjoyed it for the sort of the logic of that night. You know, you could watch it as a thing, and you'd be up to speed watching that little bit of the end of the specials. Yeah, to understand yeah. this woman is in a wife mine. Oh my god! For example, so, you know what wife mine so, is. Yeah, you know what wife mine is, and so you then you just you hit the ground running, and you you seem to get it. All. It might be mad, but you, you just look it up on Wikipedia, and uh, yeah, away yeah. you go. Yeah. Of course, if you'd follow, if you'd followed the film as canon, then all of it would be happening in Jeremy's head in a hospital bed anyway. <laughs> so we should turn around at the end for our bowers, and we've got tails. That's good. Let's and, go back. And where does the film fit into canon? Where does League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse fit? Why are you asking these questions? Because we're a film magazine, Reese. We're a film, oh, yeah, magazine. We're a film podcast. Yeah. I can tell you officially, it all takes place in the mind of the Bubble Angel. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Mm. Yes, it's hard, it's hard to place the canonical reality of the film, isn't it? Because it is. It's in the outside of basic. It's in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, yeah, it's a. But you could interpret it as all of having happened in. Yeah, so, it, so if it has happened in the character of Jeremy Dyson's head, then then it, that's to one side of the... It's a separate story. Mm. OK. Separate story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's like the Peter Cushing Dalek films. Yes. <laughs> Very much. Parallel. There, but 
an aside. And this accords with modern physics as well. Okay. okay. With, the, uh, okay. with the alternative and parallel yes, universes. Yes, I like it. Or indeed, uh, doppelganger, journey to the far side of the sun. <laughs> What's That's how that? I like to think of it. It's, that, it was all in a mirror. <laughs> True. Yeah. It was all in a mirror. That's a good idea. It's been done, though, has it? It's been done a few times. Right. Thank you for picking up the unspoken subtext of my question. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going with that. Jerry Anderson pilot. <laughs> There's a film. It's a famous and theatrical release. <laughs> So what is next for you uh, collectively and individually, Mark? Let's, let's start with you. Apart from listing people who have died. Uh, That's my main hobby. <laughs> yes. Well, you're retiring now. You? I'm <laughs> retiring. Yeah, I'm off. He's done. He's done. Bye-bye. He's teaching me, Mark. I'm doing uh, Dracula. Mm-hmm. Very excited yeah. about that. Uh, or Draclia, as we like to call it. I, I, I do exactly the same yeah. on the podcast. Draclia. Yeah. Draclia is better. Draclia. Yeah. Yeah. But we're going to f- change it officially so that all children are correct from now on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then... And uh, you just cast Dracula, uh, Dracula have, yes. as well. Clace Bang. Clace Bang. Bang Bang, you're dead. <laughs> His uh, brother Sillit. <laughs> <I'm laughs> said. It's true. Um, yeah, very excited about that. Start shooting next year. Amazing. For um, 2020. Fantastic. Excellent stuff. And you've just done The Madness of King George in the theatre. I have, yes. And hopefully transferring next year. All being, well, what, what? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Steve, what's next for you? Um, Well, Reese and I are doing a new series inside number nine. Okay. uh, Which will be the fifth series. So we've just finished writing the scripts and uh, we'll be filming that. And uh, beyond that, I don't know. We have various (laughs) things that... When you have the phone to ring, if we want them, to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that's going to take us till the end of March, probably, to film that. Okay. But that's all we—that's all consuming when you're in it, you know. Yeah, Why don't yeah, you yeah. do like a Brexit special? I got oh, here's, a skip, here's a skip for you. Why don't you do like a Brexit special? Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> we might. <laughs> we might. Who knows? <laughs> what, would, what would that involve? Or uh, huh? yeah. what would that involve? A Brexit special. I don't think anything could match the <laughs> insanity of the real, the real world. Yeah. There's no point talking about it because it's, by the time this comes out, even if it's tomorrow, it'll all be different again. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, precisely, precisely. Yeah. Uh, Reese, is there any point in me asking what you're doing? Because no, I know what I'm you're sort doing of already. Doing the same thing as a Steve. Yeah. Okay, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about yeah. it. And uh, Jeremy, what's what's next for you? Uh, I'm in the midst of writing. Uh, Follow-up film to Ghost Stories with Andy Nyman mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, Very good. Uh, and I have another couple of other scripts on the go as well. Can't talk Fantastic. About them. <laughs> you can't talk about them. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Even to you, even <laughs> off mic, you can't talk about them. I'd rather not say actually. So Ghost Stories 2 is definitely going to be, it's going to be a film. It's, it's, going to it's be not Ghost Stories 2, it's another film. Oh, it's another it's film. Not, it's not in the same universe as Ghost Stories. It's okay. a separate film. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Fantastic. And Ghost Stories is coming back to the... Uh, the play is this. It's coming back to Lyric in uh, uh, February, I believe, yes. Brilliant. It's, we're casting at the moment, yes. And, and collectively, when can we see you again? Oh. Buying the DVD! Oh, who knows? We, there's no plans to do anything with each other again. But we want to. I mean, you know, probably not Royston Vasey. We've done it, haven't we? We came back. We came back to stop people asking, when are you going to do any more? It never stops. And now people are saying, are you doing any more? Yeah, Maybe in Denville Hall. Yeah. <laughs> Actors' retirement. <laughs> we put it on there. Yeah, do it then. Yeah. <laughs> it would be lovely to think we could do another thing together that's not right, yeah. because that would be exciting. I mean, the other one was, but this that would be new. 
Yeah. Except yeah. no one would want to see it. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> well, no, but, yeah. Yeah. Why do nice years later they would? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in 15 years when we're 60, in our 60s, mid-60s. Oh, yes. Christ. Make it Please happen. Let's all be back here in 15 years' time. Yeah. Let's make it official. Uh, fantastic. It's been a pleasure, chaps. Uh, thank you, thank thank you, you so you. much indeed. Jeremy Dyson, Rishi Smith, Steve Pemberton, Mark Gatiss. Better known, of course, as a League of Gentlemen. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> He's back! <laughs> that was the League of Gentlemen. Time now for this week's movie news. Hell's Bells. Anything, anything happened this week? So there was news, or was there, about mm-hmm. Doctor Strange this week. Scott Ooh. Derrickson um, was apparently said to be officially back for the sequel, but it may not be that official. Is that right, Chris? Uh, yeah, well, well, my understanding, Hell's Bells, thanks for asking, is that The Hollywood Reporter have broken a story that Scott Derrickson is in talks to return to direct Doctor Strange 2, but Marvel haven't commented or, or indeed officially confirmed it, much the same way they haven't officially confirmed Ryan Coogler is directing Black Panther 2, which broke a few months ago as well. reason for this, of course, is they didn't want to confirm anything post-Avengers Endgame, lest it give away that Black Panther and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man come back from from, from being dusted, which we all know they will, we just don't know how. Uh, So they're not going to announce anything officially, slight-wise, certainly in terms of sequels, until that movie is out. That is my guess on that one. It's so weird. But with a 2021 release date mooted for that movie, then they have to get a move on, which means they have to get a director, which means Scott Derrickson. And that makes sense to me because he did a really good job with Doctor Strange. Yeah, absolutely. You could argue that it'll be five years between movies by the time Doctor Strange 2 comes out, but I think he the character stock rose so highly with his turn in Infinity War. Indeed. Mm. Uh, this, this does make sense. Um, yeah, no, I, I'd be I'd be thrilled to see him back. I think he was really, really good in it. And, uh, and yeah, fingers crossed for that. I'm really looking forward to seeing what um, Doctor Strange is going to be able to do in this sequel. I, I liked but didn't love the first film, but I my affection for the character grew massively in Infinity War. I just felt like um, uh, Cumberbatch really, really settled into that character, uh, both as uh, Stephen Strange the man yeah. and as Doctor Strange the sort of superpowered being. And yeah, the, the the fact that even by the end of the first film, he wasn't Master of the Mystic Arts mm-hmm. quite yet. And you felt... By Infinity War, he had a lot more tools, magical yeah. tools in his magical belt. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think Scott Derrickson did a really good job of bringing him to the screen first time, so I'm all on for that. Doctor Stranger, roll on. Mm. Absolutely. He, he knows the character, he's a big fan of the character, I can see this absolutely working. I'm surprised they haven't got around to it sooner, but you know they have plans over there, don't they? They have big plans. I want to say they haven't really announced anything post Endgame. They have announced some things, but it's new characters. Or, you know, they've announced, say, they, they did announce Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, but they didn't say the makeup of that group. Mm. Obviously, then that got pushed back. And one thing we didn't really talk about in last week's show was A, the cancellation of Daredevil, and that's interesting. And B, we didn't talk about the announcement that they have, uh, they're going to fast track a Shang-Chi movie. Who is Shang-Chi, I hear you ask? Well, I'm a big Marvel fan, and even I had to go to Google for that one. Uh, he is a character created in the 1970s. He is a, a master of the martial arts. He can duplicate himself. He can make himself hundreds of clones. Basically, he's multiplicity, but with martial arts. As far as I can tell, <laughs> that's what they want to do with this. And uh, they're trying to fast track it. And, you know, because I think Kevin Feige has said that they want every year one new potential character to headline a movie. Huh. So, you know, so it won't just be post-Endgame. It won't just be Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4, Avengers 27. It'll be Doctor Strange 2, Thor 4, and Shang-Chi, or Squirrel Girl, or... Squirrel you know, Girl! Yeah, or Miss Marvel, Miss or Marvel, something yes. like... You know, it's going to be it's going to be something cool and new and funky every, every year. So Shang-Chi, I mean, it could work. 
Yeah. Let's not rule anything out. Kung in, in Feige, Fu. we trust. Kung Fu multiplicity. Yeah. Wow. I know Kung Fu, Steve. So do I. 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 We'll see how that one goes. And James, as the uh, the 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 doyen of all things cinematic television, Daredevil, very very. Yeah. I know you've covered this on Pilot we, TV. We did I, cover it on Pilot I've, TV a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've listened to a great length. Yes, yes. You're a big fan, aren't you, Chris? You love it. Let me just make sure I've subscribed to it on my on my phone here. <laughs> oh, I've accidentally deleted it from my. My phone. I guess that's what happens when you don't fucking invite me onto your podcast. Do you know what? We will. I'm going to get you on. I don't want to do it. No, no. I'm going to make you do it. I'm busy. We're going to have a. We're going to have a Bake Off segment. We're going to have me and Helen and Ben off to eat a meringue wreath. Anyway, it shows how much you know. Bake Off's over for the year. God. Is it? Do they only do it in the summer? Is that because they do it in a big tent in a field? Oh my god! No, it is. They do. I've seen it. They do do it in a tent in a field. It's like in a marquee. I've seen this. It is. It's like talking to a three-year-old. <laughs> no, they broadcasted towards the end of the, uh, the end of sort of the early autumn. Oh, okay. Good. Well, and everyone's overjoyed because it's it's because shot during the, the summer with the desserts that they the lovely, can't actually eat. coloured desserts. Yeah. They can yeah. eat. There's loads of bake-alongs. They don't people give them to the people. People make them along with the show. Oh, she's saying it's like Marie Antoinette. They're just like <laughs> let them eat meringue wreaths. Well, actually, and they she pass said brioche, out. which they also bake on the show. Is that what you said? It wasn't cake. Is that a mistranslation? Yeah, that's basically a mistranslation. Let them eat brioche. Yeah, he's more wow. brioche. Wow. De la brioche. That's special. So, yes, uh, Daredevil has been cancelled. This is something that certainly Charlie Cox was uh, a little unhappy to hear and was surprised to hear. He spoke mm, about yeah. this quite recently. It's not a huge shock, I think. There's a couple of elements to this. There's partly that the, the, the sort of Disney Netflix relationship is winding down. Uh, I think this is in part due to Disney Plus launching and Disney yeah. going their own way with their own streaming service, focusing on shows like the kind of Loki, Scarlet Witch, and people like that properties that they'll be using on there. And also, I think to the fact that Netflix have moved on. Like the Marvel shows, which started very well, have been less received in recent years because the quality has declined. Latest season of Daredevil, uh, notwithstanding, and I don't think Netflix need them in the way they used to. They're very expensive shows to produce, and they haven't been critically as well received so there will be two more there will be uh, Punisher season two which is going to land in January mm-hmm. and there will be Jessica Jones season three which will land at some point next year and then that's probably the last we're going to see we'd also. imagine that that's it they're going to yeah, yeah that's it because you'll notice shows walking like, like yeah. uh, Punisher for example they've not publicized at all like it's dropping next month and it was on their thing coming in January slate and it was a blink and you'll miss it oh yeah and this much like the introductions you tend to give me on the podcast it was a bit like oh and the Punisher's there too which is great I guess yeah that's Um, fair yeah so you know so it's there it's present it's extremely valuable but largely unwanted the Punisher Um, would have more respect for meringue wreaths (laughs) he'd probably shoot a meringue wreath but yeah this is sad because Daredevil season 3 was fantastic and it's Mm. the best thing that the Marvel Netflix partnership has produced in quite some time Uh, I would argue possibly the best thing since uh Daredevil and Jessica Jones season one so it, it, I mean they've gone out on a high that's a good thing but equally yeah. you know what I'm going to miss old Charlie Cox I mean some writers from the show were basically talking about the shock because it just yeah. came out of the blue and then yeah. they had they had apparently they had plotted out season four they yes. were about to start writing it uh, it's a highly rated show people you know as we far think as Netflix never <laughs> released these things so yeah. it might have been Keith might have watched it on his own but <laughs> with you know just a sad meringue wreath keeping him company but hey I don't there's think no so. such thing as a sad meringue wreath all right <laughs> I, I, okay. Get James to bake a meringue wreath, and oh. I think you would see a sad meringue wreath. Yeah, it would. He would, he would, true. he'd do something wrong. He'd put too much, he'd get the salt and the sugar mixed up, just oh. like, 
um, your woman did on sure. Bake Off. Yeah. Oh, nightmare. Did someone actually do that? They yeah. mixed up the salt in the, in the like the semi-final as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, to start over. See, there's big drama. Wow. You're missing out on. So that really drama. is a Sixth Sense-esque twist, isn't it? Mm. Caught the drama. I must start covering this immediately. Yes, there <laughs> anyway, you go. Anyway, but uh, while we talk about this thing that happened two weeks ago... Um, <laughs> I, I remember I, I was very cynical about this and I went, well, this is obviously Disney cleaning house and, and getting and can kind of bringing mm. Daredevil into a room and pop one in the back of his head a la Joe Pesci and Goodfellas with the sole intention of bringing these characters over to their new streaming service, Disney+. Plus. But a lot of people who know much more than me, uh, which is everyone, have said, no, that can't, that's not the case. Netflix owned these characters mm. and it's not the situation. I, I, so maybe... It, I don't know. Is it Netflix who are basically saying, well, why are we giving... I think, I, think, yeah. I think it had gotten to the point where it didn't really make economic sense for anybody because Netflix was having to obviously give Disney a portion of the money for these shows, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons they were so expensive because they, they whatever the deal was that they originally hammered out, obviously Netflix were at that point more of a junior partner than they maybe are now yeah. in yeah. most of their Netflix original work. So that even if the show was fairly well watched in its last season it probably wasn't didn't do them as much good um, and cost them too much money to get those figures so yeah yeah i think it's it's a real shame that we're not going to have more more daredevil um but the thing that i thought i'd really miss that actually thinking on it disney are now going to do through disney plus um daredevil season three brought me back to the marvel shows i hadn't watched any of them since i watched half of the first luke cage and and enjoyed it up to that point but kind of fell out of the whole thing and when I, I basically binged Daredevil season three, I thought I'd start watching it as a casual thing and got so sucked into it. And the thing that I loved was seeing that sort of long form comic book comic book storytelling with such high production values, so slickly done that it was like the 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 perfect ideal of what you'd want that to be. Mm. And it's a shame that that's not going to be around on Netflix anymore. But I guess the hope is that with Disney plowing a lot into their Disney Plus. Uh, content and the thought of these kind of already beloved characters getting their own spin-off shows hopefully they can scratch that itch in a way it will be very different though i think what made for me daredevil and jessica jones early shows stand out was they were very dark and very violent punisher especially is very violent which was a world apart from the mcu kind of tone now disney plus is going to skew much more family friendly so you'll get none of that on there that said even the marvel netflix stuff became less like that as it went along i i I think people have have because Bob Iger said that Disney Plus was going to be, you know, for, thir- you know, kind of aimed at 13 and under. I think they've kind of misunderstood what that means. I think he means it's going to be PG-13. Mm. Because yeah. you don't have a Loki TV show or a Scarlet Witch and Vision TV show or a Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV show and aim them at kids, uh, I mean, you know. Yeah. Or, you, well, you do, obviously, but... <laughs> It'd be like the Cap infomercials. And it? Hey, kids! Yeah. I, you know, I, you don't keep them totally within that, that universe, but... Uh, I think this is one of the reasons why we haven't seen these characters in the uh, in the wider MCU as well. And it's probably a good thing the Russo said recently that they were very, very close. You know, at one point they were considering putting like the likes of Daredevil just even for like a cutaway into Infinity War and just going, look, okay, we, we know these guys exist as well. But it obviously didn't happen for whatever reason. It's, it's good because now we can kind of pretend they don't exist in that world and that works out better. Harsh. <laughs> Sorry, Daredevil. Uh, there, there is, weirdly enough, there is one last bit of news about this, and that it has just broken that apparently there is a two-year gap uh, clause, so that we won't see any of these characters in uh, yeah. the MCU for about two years. And when that happens, honestly, guys, I wouldn't recast. I wouldn't recast Daredevil. I wouldn't recast Jessica Jones. I wouldn't recast Luke Cage. 
leave that where it is. <laughs> who does that leave you, yeah. mate? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually wouldn't Poor recast Finn. the Punisher either. I wouldn't recast the Punisher, oh, no. of course, yeah. yeah. As you know, the old song, four to five ain't bad. Anyway, so there wasn't really a lot of great, big, juicy movie news to get our teeth into this week, but there uh, is a Star Wars thing. Sorry, yeah, just is. while you're on the big juicy, have you seen Sonic the Hedgehog's legs? Wow, there's a, there's a leap. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Sonic 2. What are you doing? Don't objectify Sonic in such a way. I'm not objectifying Sonic. The people behind the Sonic the Hedgehog movie coming soon to cinemas are turning him into some kind of weird gym. So just to be clear, obsessed. just to be clear, it's you are weird. on air now body shaming Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm not body shaming. It's... I'm just shocked because he's got little spindly legs in his original video game cartoon form. And now that we're getting, it looks like they're basically done what they did with Pikachu in the... Um, Giving uh, him Detective Pikachu. fur and a very deep Giving voice. Him, yeah, very fur. Like, he looks weirdly, like, furry, and he's got kind of... He's just all muscly, and it's all strange. Has ever, uh, am I the only person who's... You're the only one who's anyone else clearly seeing this? traumatised I am this. traumatised. He, Show me the he, picture. Look at Turn this. Turn Look at this. Show me it. I mean, he looks like he could start some shit. I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a weird, like, superhero landing pose for, for Sonic, mm. which is... Yeah. He looks like a like an athlete yeah. in a comedy Sonic headpiece. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. I mean, I don't understand this movie anyway, though. So well, somebody yeah. will have to explain it to me. It, it's Ben Schwartz voicing a sort of a semi-live action. So I think it will be a bit like the the Pokemon film, where it's kind of um, Sonic yeah. is a, an animated yeah. sort of CGI yeah. Sonic but in a normal world, and uh, Jim Carrey's Doctor Robotnik. James Marsden is playing a presumably human character, a cop called Tom Wachowski, uh, and Ben Schwartz is is voicing Sonic, and it's from the producers of Fast and the Furious, and I guess he is fast and not particularly furious. When's it out? Um, it is out in a year's time. Yeah, We've I'm got busy. a year to prepare for this. Sonic the Hedgehog's legs are yeah. scary. I wow. mean, there's a lot of pressure to look as good as you can mm. in Hollywood. If Sonic the Hedgehog has, has gone full roids, then who are we to judge? Who are we to judge, indeed? Well, it, yeah, we should probably judge people who are on steroids, though, Chris. That's yeah, fine. illegal legs look, and dangerous. Their legs look amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, apparently it's fine for hedgehogs. I don't think that's true. I know a vet. I'm going to ask. <laughs> uh, speaking of things that are true, Aaron Sorkin's <laughs> new film has been delayed, which is, uh, which is a big four star masterpiece. The, the four star masterpiece that is The Trial of the Chicago do you know, 7. Do you know why this is? It's probably because somebody watched Molly's Game and realised oh, it's not that good. Burn. Oh, burn! Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm on fire. Wow. Yeah. So, no, this is Sorkin's film that was going to be based on the Brett Morgan documentary about the Chicago 10, uh, which is something about the Democratic National Convention and some protesters who got arrested. And it was all a bit of a hoo-ha in 1968. I don't really know the details. <laughs> Thanks, so you've, you've immersed yourself fully <laughs> in this story. I have. I have. Uh, but obviously Aaron Sorkin made it, so it is a four-star film. Good lord. And, Except uh, he hasn't made it yet, has he? No, it, but he's going to, and he's going to add four stars to it when he makes it. From a starting point of? Like, you know, n- n- from non-stars to four. He's going to add the stars as he goes. Right. If Aaron um, Sorkin walked in here right now and took a hedgehog yeah. and started injecting it with steroids, <laughs> you'd still steroids. give him the benefit of the doubt, wouldn't you? You'd no. still go, that's brilliant. Without no doubt. one has ever injected a hedgehog with steroids with quite such elan as Four Aaron stars, yeah. says yeah. James. He needs yeah. those big legs to do all those walking talks. That's There's right. a lot of walking and yep. a lot of talking. I've to now be been attacked by the hedgehog. Uh, it has jumped at my face with those massive legs of it and it's embedded its spines in my face. But you know what? Because Aaron Sorkin's behind it, I love it. Yeah, I see no problem with the statement. 
If Aaron Sorkin made a wreath meringue, oh, I'd eat it, and I'd filled it. it with nails and barbed wire, <laughs> and you ate it, and you're you're you just mangled your mouth up, and there was blood and teeth everywhere, you'd still be going. It's the best wreath meringue I've ever had. That's that's. I don't think accurate. that would be a good topping. <laughs> Do you think? But, I but mean, Aaron Sorkin thinks it is, and James no, agrees. Three stars max, I'd say. <laughs> Do you think that's what you should change his name to? Three stars max. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, look, I love him. I love the West Wing. I just didn't like Molly's game that much. And I still gave it a positive review. So Three stars let's move is on. a recommendation. Three stars is a recommendation. I cannot believe you gave Molly's oh my game God. the same rating you gave Mortal Engines. What is wrong with the world? Well, you for a start. But anyway, this is the film that Steven Spielberg was originally going to make and moved yes. and walked away from. So uh, it's beginning to look a little bit cursed, if we're honest. Um, no. But I think it's basically a, a budget thing. Films like Detroit didn't make a lot of money on their budget. And I think there's there's the concern that this won't be able to. It's also, I think, the official reason is to allow him to complete work on his Broadway show, which is an adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, which is exciting. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if I mean, that's an altruistic thing, isn't it? He wants to bring Atticus Finch to life. So it's all good. You're going to go and see it when it comes out on Broadway, Helen? If I'm in New York and I can get a ticket, sure. Hmm. Give it three stars, won't you? <laughs> Probably not. Probably give it more. Bet if it's you won't. anything like To Kill a Mockingbird. Bet you won't. So there's a cast attached this time around as well. So you have Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne are attached as well. Sasha Baron Cohen's been attached to this for a long, long time. Yeah, it's all come full circle for him. But uh, yeah, I think someone wants to make this a go project. So we shall see. And James, uh, obviously, will be delighted when Helen gets to set visit on that one. <sighs> Um, but yeah, I'd love to because I love Aaron Sorkin. I just don't like Molly's game, James. He doesn't God. like you. That's fine. He's allowed to. Um, let's talk about The Mandalorian, shall we, please? So we've had some reports in recent weeks about some casting on The Mandalorian. We obviously had Pedro Pascal um, introduces the title character. He is the Mandalorian, not just a Mandalorian, um, a gunfighter in the outer <laughs> reaches of the galaxy. So we also had previously leaked uh, names Gina Carano, Nick Nolte uh, were already announced. So then there are some new t- names attached. Mm-hmm. There's Emily Swallow, Omid mm-hmm. Abtahi, um, mm-hmm. Giancarlo Esposito. Fully on board. Fantastic news. Spring. Yeah, Carl Weathers. Also oh. great. I mean, Dylan! I love him in Arrested Development and also, I guess, Predator. It's pretty good as well. And, the, and Action Jackson. Sure. And the Rocky movies. Sure. And... Upgrade 2, colon unlandable, colon holding pattern, colon with Carl Weathers as Carl Weathers. I feel like I was right with my first two, but okay. I mean, technically speaking, that hasn't been made yet, but it will be. Okay. Um, but I've saved the best for la- last. Oh, yeah. just like um, Vanessa Williams. I, exa- I, I model my life on her. Sometimes the snow comes down in June. What? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> the, the sun, sun goes round the moon. <laughs> What's happening? Just when I thought the chance had passed. You Helen go. went and saved the best for last. That, those are lyrics, James. From Catch what? Up. From the song From Save, Save the, the Best, best for last. last by Vanessa Williams. Anyway, Werner Herzog is joining the Star Wars universe, people. Werner Herzog, this is the Straight best. Straight out, Jack Reacher. He's yes. joining the Mandalorian. That's extraordinary. I am absolutely here for the tone, the, 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 the touch of just complete. Herzogianness. The original Grizzly Man. Uh, it's mean, wonderful. Yeah, that's extraordinary, actually. Does so, he think, because it's a, a sci fi film, does he see it as basically them being set in an abyss? <laughs> an empty, desolate abyss? An empty, cold abyss. I hope he's the narrator. I hope it's oh all narrated God. and no one ever speaks. Instead of a crawl, it's just him saying what the crawl would be. Yes. A long time ago. 
It'd be amazing. So that is wonderful news, and I'm super on board, even given my previous misgivings. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Werner Herzog and Nick Nolte are going to be in a Star Wars <laughs> TV show together. I hope, I hope all their scenes are together. I hope they're incomprehensible. <laughs> the subtitles just give up halfway through. I honestly have no idea. You know, Werner Herzog just banging on about the endless existential emptiness of the Tatooine wastelands. <laughs> and Nick Nolte's replying and, you know, and, you know, and then Pedro Pascal's just standing <laughs> yeah, just around standing just there looking cool. With his moustache fastened to his helmet so you know it's him. <laughs> that's the only way. Yeah, yeah. You know. that's definitely happening. Uh, or is it, do you think, uh, a heartwarming David Cronenbergian story about a man who gets bitten by a, a radioactive car uh, and becomes a man, DeLorean? Wow. And to think, I was trying to work out how to squeeze a Werner's original joke in there. <laughs> And I didn't because I thought it was too terrible. I was trying oh. to think if there was something about the the Nolte list. He's on the. It's nearly Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's so on the Nolte there. list. Oh, I think we used our puns too early. Mm. You know, we were premature with the punning. We, we didn't save any till later. Well, I, I hear that's a problem for men your age. So. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> shall we move on? God let's. No comment. Or no com. No. 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 Definitely not. No. No, let's move on. But we also have our final guest this week, who are Peter Jackson. He's back again. He was on the podcast just a month or so ago. That was to talk about his World War One documentary, "They Shall Not Grow Old." But now he is back with his long-term writing and producing partner, Philippa Boyens, to talk about their new lavish blockbuster, "Mortal Engines," all the way from Tunbridge Wheels. And they were talking to Mr. Ben Travis. So here you go. Enjoy. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, uh, Peter Jackson and Philippa Boynes. You're here. Uh, you are many things, but you're here today as writers and producers on Mortal Engines. How are you doing? I'm doing great, yeah. I'm doing great, but a little bit jet-lagged, but that's, I sort of have permanent jet-lag. I think I've had it since 1986. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, I'm doing fine. This is your, your uh, second <laughs> podcast appearance recently, because obviously Chris and Nick spoke to you for uh, They Shall Not Grow Old yes, a couple of weeks yeah. ago, and I think, again, you were in a bit of a jet-lag state. Well, I've been, I've been home to New Zealand since, since oh, then. Have you? Yeah, yes, and come back, back again. So I, I just come back over for the, for the Empire podcast that sort of travel the world. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming back, especially yeah, no for problem. this. Appreciate it. You guys are kind of masters of adaptation, especially when it comes to uh, to fantasy works. What approach did you take to Mortal Engines, and what have you learned from your kind of previous experiences of, of adapting fantasy novels? What have you learned about what to use and, and what to leave, and what information needs to be visual and what needs to be in dialogue in it when you're kind of writing the script? That's a very wide question. There's sort of several answers. I mean, I think you... You know, the first the way that you approach a script is, is always through the characters, and so you, you you know you map it out on a whiteboard. As the first two or three months of us working with you know, and Fran, we we don't really write the script and, uh, immediately. We, we we just chart out the stories on a on a whiteboard, and it's the story of the characters. It's inevitably the story of the characters, um, and, and and you know, and that's one aspect of it to to, to sort of find your way. And especially, it's tricky when you've got characters who live in a world that's not our world. So you want your characters to be believable. They want to care about everything that, that's happening to them because that's the story is basically their experience in a strange world. And so you've, you want to be able to make sure you can connect with them on a human level you know, and, and, and empathise with them. So they're worried about things that we don't really quite haven't had experience of being concerned about in our world, but, you know, uh, uh, being... Uh, 
being consumed by attraction citizens and things, but nonetheless, we understand the concept of them being fearful and worried. So you're always looking for those ways that, to connect. But then, um, in terms of the actual world itself, which is really the setting, uh, you're wanting it to be as feel as real as possible, and, and that's often things like just creating a history mm-hmm. for the world. Because, like, if we are if we are making a story of today, you know, characters today in today's world, you might have somebody referring to. Back in the back, back in the war, or mm-hmm. or you know, back uh, uh, when um, uh, at, the, at, the, at the turn of the century, when you know when Queen Victoria died, so and so happened, you know, and, you, and for us, we take it for granted it's history. So you want to often you, you often want to just um, make sure that there's a history to this world, and people are referring to events that we don't have a clue what they're referring to, mm-hmm. but for them, it's their history. So and it just makes it authentic. It doesn't matter what we we understand it. It just we understand the concept of it. So you try to embed all this little little things that just we can connect to in terms of making things real. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. things like uh, the the sixty minute war we we hear about. And well, you will know about that because that's probably going to happen next week, I believe. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's going to happen sometime soon. In terms of the story, if if, if Mortal Engines is, is, turns out to be true, then the sixty minute war isn't too far away. <laughs> and even if Mortal Engines doesn't turn out to be true, the sixty minute war is probably not too far away. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I mean, it's a very depressing thought. thing. Yeah. Jerry thought. Jerry thought. Yeah. It is a very sort of distinctive vision of the future in terms of we've seen a lot of. Um, sort of post-apocalypses mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and dystopian futures and that kind of thing, but mm-hmm. the, the wheeled cities and the sort mm. of, uh, yes, cities kind of consuming each other. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a really sort of distinctive idea. When you were reading the, the book, um, was there a particular image or an idea in there that, that really sparked your imagination and made you think that, that you were the people to, to do this? Well, you never really know whether we're the people to do it. We just got to get excited about something. Could be completely wrong. Could be the wrong people, <laughs> but we still get excited. <laughs> the, um, uh, well, for me, I mean, uh, I mean, Phil's probably got a different answer. I mean, I was. It was really the in the book. Philip does describe things in a very cinematic way, and he does describe the chase at the beginning, which we have um, London running down the salt mining town, and. That's so vividly described um, in the book that, uh, you know, you're starting to see that in your head and it's really not. Uh, and what I was imagining in my head, and even though Christian was a shot and directed, directed the movie, he's certainly it's, it's, it's come out pretty similar to what I was imagining for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I fell in love with the, um, the originality of, mm-hmm. of the storytelling. You knew that you could create a film that would introduce a world that no, you've never seen before. Um, but also what was appealing is, as Pete has said, were the characters that inhabit that world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I genuinely just fell in love with uh, particularly Hester, mm-hmm. the character of Hester Shaw, and knew she was going to be a character that you haven't seen on film before either. No, no, she's complex, which, which I like. She's multi-layered and sort of dark, you know. She's not a, a bubblegum uh, heroine. Not <laughs> I mean, you know, she's sort of... it's. You know, she, a, lot, a lot of the characters in the story. You know, I mean, this is basically referring to the books. When I was reading the books, a lot, a lot of the characters are shades of grey. They're not. They're not. You know, goodies, baddies in the normal movie sense. They're, 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 they've, they've got multiple layers, and so I think that was really fascinating. And um, you know, and, and, I, and I also actually liked one of the things I remember now reading the books uh, that, that stuck in my mind is the museum, London Museum, which a lot of the artifacts are from our time. From the you know, from from, the from our area, yeah. and so because of that, so much stuff has been destroyed, 
they don't really understand our, our world, apart from the fact that we blew ourselves up um, with, these, um, with these quantum energy weapons, but they are trying to figure out how we lived and, and what we, you know, what we, how, how our, what our society was yeah, like they, based on all the stuff that they dig out of the ground. They keep digging up uh, cell phones all over yeah. the place. And, and, they, and they come to understand that we, the ancients, meaning mm-hmm. us, our, today's world, uh, uh, lived our lives through these small screens. And I, and I also like the fact, too, that um, what I read into the, what I was reading, when I was reading these books, I wasn't imagining a, a dystopian world, or, or what I don't even know what, the, what dystopian means in terms of the dictionary, the Oxford dictionary um, definition. I haven't got a clue, but, but to me, it's, you know, those sorts of dystopian post-apocalyptic films are usually quite grim, tribal, mm-hmm. uh, feral sort of films where everything's just falling apart and everyone's got, you know, back in the Stone Age again kind of thing and, and what I liked about it was it wasn't that I mean we've always sort of been post post-apocalyptic or post um, 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 dystopian in the sense that society has gone through that period and now it's built itself back up again so you've now got you've got shops and colourful clothing and theatres and you know you've, it's, it's, it's returned to something that as, as you know as a society we can recognise it just happens to be on wheels. In terms of the things you were mentioning from our society, the, yes. the, the remnants of, of that new world, um, one moment I really liked was uh, Tom's lovely ode to the humble toaster. Um, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a really nice moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The what, Sunbeam was, 2000. Is, is that a exactly very rare, rare, rare thing <laughs> It's always find. hard to find them with, with the um, knobs on. The knobs are yeah. always... Every, every, <laughs> I love if, that. If you're lucky enough to dig one out of the ground, they, they always miss the... The, the knobs are always gone. Mm. I, I, I so. love the way uh, Robbie Sheehan, who plays Tom <laughs> Nitz with, he said, you've lost <laughs> the knob! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, do either of you own that specific brand? Of, of toaster is that a real brand of toaster? I believe it's it is. Real. Yeah, I think they I were think very generous. No reason for it not, not to yeah. be real. I think it is yeah, real, but but I, I can't say I have used it myself or own one. No, this, this is your chance to call in a freebie. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Hopefully, with the knobs on and all the springs, with, yes, 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 yes. yeah. with all the knobs, no on. knobs and the, bell, the bells and the whistles and the knobs. <laughs> yep. The the other thing as well, I love the um, the indication that uh, the minions could live on for a thousand years. Um, they're obviously uh, very memorable kind of characters, and they're they're divisive as well. People love the minions. Some people don't love the minions mm. so much. Are mm. you are you pro minion? Are you anti minion? In what way do you think that they'll live on? Well, I just love the fact that they that they're described as as, as they they think there might be de- might be some form of de- deity that we worship. <laughs> so it's like if we dig up a Greek statue of a Zeus or, or Apollo. You know, these are their gods, and we think this is you know, and you go into the museum, and so they they think that these are poss- possibly de- deities. That we all worshipped in the book I mean we, we didn't create the gag in the book um, Philip has it but it's a Mickey Mouse right. figure and Pluto yeah and we couldn't get the rights to Mickey Mouse and we um, Universal making the film so we went to Universal and said what have you got that we can use and, and, and I actually think the minions are so much funnier than Mickey, Mickey Mouse mm-hmm. for some reason it's like <laughs> talk, calling them a deity is, is, is much more I love that. much more ridiculous than Mickey Mouse and the funny I, I love where, that the, yeah, the deities they think the ancient deities were called Kevin and Stuart <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but, if, but if, the, if the minions were running America right now, it would be a damn sight more, more sane country than it, than it currently is. <laughs> maybe, that's, yeah, all, that's, that, all, that's all I can say. <laughs> maybe that 60-minute war would be a little bit further off than, uh, than it seems right now. Um, I just want to go back to, to Hester as a character, because I thought, I thought she was great, and especially um, Hera Hilmar, who, mm. who plays her. Um, I haven't actually seen her in anything before. Were you guys involved in, in the casting, and can you tell me mm. about uh, the, the moment that you found her and, and where you found her? 
She actually, that's an interesting question. So I always thought we'd find Hester first, but actually we found Tom first. Um, and uh, we knew uh, Robbie Sheehan was going to be playing Tom. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually we did after. after yeah, after after looking. But we still yeah. Yeah, but we, yeah. haven't found, found Hester though. No. We hadn't found Hester, no. and and it she is so key to the film, and there's a quality about her. She has to, um, she. Before you realise that she's the person you're probably going to end up caring about, or one of the characters you're going to end up caring about the most, she's actually quite mysterious, and you're not. She's actually sort of exactly. Um, So you you had to find an actress who could draw the audience Mm. in, and 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 intrigue them, but also not reveal everything immediately either. So it was a trick, and I remember Mm. she sent in a tape, Mm -hmm. and it was quite late in the process. And what was great about uh, this world that we're in is that we weren't stuck with any one specific notion of, okay, she needed to be American or she needed to be English or mm. she had to be... Um, she could be whoever she was. And then this the young actress sent in this audition it, that I mean, was pretty stunning. Some, some characters are hard to find. And, 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 and you know, what, what was hard to find about Hester was that she did have to be somebody... She had to be played by somebody who could be that sort of mysterious, damaged figure that the character requires? You know, you know, someone who's holding back a lot of secrets. You know, you know, even when the movie finishes, you know, you can still see that Hester hasn't hasn't told us everything. She's she's still she's got she's got things that she's not saying. So so she's never. It's not an outgoing character. It's a character who's very reserved and and is basically shaped by some pretty traumatic things that have happened. And, and she's you know responding to those. In terms of the storytelling, but she's and you want to chip away at that, and the story is all about her almost discovering her own humanity that she had long since put to one side, discovering what it's like to care about somebody because she hasn't cared about any human being for daring for, to be for, happy. forever, and 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 that is a sort of a, it's it's subtle hard stuff to play, yeah. and because you have to do all that and be likable, you know, not 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 likable, but you have to put, but you have to want to attract the audience. So the audience's eyes should be on this person the whole time. Mm. That she they're just fasc- you know, yeah. there's someone somebody who fascinates the audience because there's so much mystery. She can't just be grim, and it's no. So that's all. That's a whole. That's all that that all means. She's actually pretty funny. Hard, I, I found she's yeah, actually got that gl- roller class. Yeah, yeah. She had to be funny. She had to have a dry kind of sense of humour um, she's, she's, she's very sarcastic with but, but I mean I, I'd, never, I'd never heard of her before either I know she's in uh, what's it the, 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 the Da Vinci's Demon TV mm-hmm. show or something, but, but I've never seen it so I, so, um, I, I, um, I didn't know who, who she she'd was. actually done a, a, a heck of a lot of work I mean she's done a lot of films stages and, and, and Icelandic stage, stuff yeah. yeah and I think well, I, I don't know enough about Iceland I've never been there to know whether or not that's she brings some Icelandic, mysterious Icelandic, but I think, I, you know, I, it must be something because I don't think, I can't imagine an American actress playing that role now that I've seen Hera doing it and mm-hmm. as an Icelandic actress. I can't, it, somehow it is a quality of, of that sort of, sort of slightly mysterious sort of... She's a Viking she too. A Viking, She's, yeah. She is a Viking. I, we have. Um, I remember when we had an earthquake. She'd, she'd been in New Zealand for about three weeks. Mm-hmm. Wellington, you kind of get used to it. You know, the shaking starts, and you sort of generally what happens is you wait to see whether it's going to keep growing or. But this shouldn't put people off who are, who are considering vacations in New Zealand. <laughs> but what was interesting was I immediately thought of her because she was just down the road and she and she was by herself, and so I texted her immediately and and I, I like, are you okay? Is everything all right? You know, you know, 
I felt like apologising, saying sorry for that. <laughs> and she, she texted back immediately and she said, uh, Phil, it's okay, I'm from Iceland, this is normal. <laughs> she said, I'm just doing my yoga. <laughs> Which was perfect answer from uh, Hester Shaw as well. Fantastic. Um, we, uh, so the, the director of the film is, is uh, Christian Rivers, who's your kind of uh, friend and longtime collaborator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in uh, the feature that we had in Empire recently about Mortal Engines, um, Peter, you, you directed some second unit stuff on this. And you're explaining um, that part of the reason that you uh, didn't end up directing the whole film was that, understandably, you were just absolutely knackered after doing The Hobbit. Um, it wasn't really the, it wasn't the actual reason. I mean, I, I was a re, I was Christian was ready to make a, a feature film and he hmm. directed second unit on The Hobbit. And, and, and I sort of didn't want him to go away and make a feature film with somebody else because he'd yeah. worked with us for 25 years. And he was actually, when I, you know, when I, when the, after I made Bad Taste, the first film I made, the first bit of fan mail I ever had in my life, like, like you know, there's been a lot, obviously, subsequently, but the first fan letter I ever had was from a 15-year-old schoolboy in New Zealand called Christian Rivers, mm. and it was, and he wrote me, he was, he was, a, he was a school kid who wrote me a, a fan letter, the first time I ever had one, and so, and 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 you know, and I, I didn't meet him or anything until after he left school, he came to work with us eventually, so he kind of goes back almost as far as far as I do, and I just wanted, you know, he's done so much for us, he's been such. A great member of our sort of team, you know, storyboarding and animatics and visual effects, and since second year directing on The Hobbit, I just thought, well, he's now, you know, and you get to a point where, as someone who wants to direct, which is what he wanted to do, you, you're at the point where you're ready to make a, 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 your, your first feature. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're right at that point, and I just thought, well, I don't want, I don't want to be making mortal engines and Christian goes off makes his film with some other person. It's, it's wrong. It's just wrong. So um, it, it, mortal engines seem to fit exactly his skill with visual effects he wouldn't be intimidated by that he'd be able to focus on the storytelling which I thought it was because you couldn't have a director on Mortal Engines who hadn't had effects experience and mm-hmm. so it just seems, seems like the perfect fit and that's just, so it wasn't really about me being naked because look I'm naked on every time I finish a film I mean it's like, it's like I still make another film it's not it's not I don't come out of something so exhausted I, I, I don't do anything I mean that's not and no I, I, it was because he was ready for a feature film and we had a project that's, that was, was absolutely perfect for him and it was satisfying it's like I I've had, you know, two years where I feel much more satisfied in a way. Much, you know, I feel, I feel I've done really. It, it, you know, you know, I've helped someone get their career going instead of just me me directing another film. I, I've actually that time has been spent helping somebody else, and it's a nice feeling. And, and how are you feeling now? Do you feel ready to head back into the fray? Um, directing, obviously, you're working on... Well, I'm just so knackered at the junket. The junket's knackered me more than the bloody <laughs> fil- filmmaking. I mean, we shouldn't blame blame the Hobbit or anything else. It's, it's these press junkets that bloody exhaust me. So I probably, I probably, you probably won't see, see me for five years. Uh, no, no, I'm... Um, well, I mean, I've, look, while I was... Uh, while Mortal Engines was happening, I, was, I spent four years... Uh, working on the World War One documentary, slowly looking through footage, and I was also the other thing I was doing in this, in this period of time was it was the centenary of the First World War, and I d- designed and uh, um, did a big um, exhibit in, in New Zealand based on the First World War, and I, I, I even did some filming for that mm. um, of, of some Gallipoli guys that we projected on on to Pepper's ghost screens and, and it was a very intricate um, design sort of a trench experience that so it took me forever I mean I spent more time I think working on that than I often would do on a, on a film it was uh, it was about a year year and a half of really intense um, labour so I, I've certainly been busy I, I haven't been I haven't been sitting around on my bum <laughs> and, um, and I'm really and I'm good to go any, any time for, for anything yeah 
I, I wanted to ask, it's, it's coming up uh, to the 15-year mark since uh, the Lord of the Rings Return of the King came out and since, since that Oscar night, uh, 11 Oscars, um, now that it's kind of that, that amount of time forward, um, mm. how do you look back on that time? What are your memories of, of the Oscars that night, that, that uh, night. this time 15 oh. years ago? Oh, my God. That was, um, that was a mm. night. I, I saw it's fragment, fragments, blurry fragments had, in my head. Well, you, you between Fran and yeah. Pete, they won six, mm-hmm. and I won one. And um, Oh, you sound, you sound a little bit bitter about that. Slightly. You can come and stroke ours any time you want, just across the lawn if you want to you yeah, know, fondle right. some other Oscars. <laughs> but um, I do remember one thing that mm. night, which was pretty funny, was um, um, I actually had taken my big brother, uh, as my partner to to the Oscars, and um, his name's David. And at one stage, because we were involved, I think we were catching up with people, and we left them with him. And he was walking around carrying seven Oscars, and people kept looking at him, thinking, "I should know this guy. Who is he? What does he do?" He's, he's <laughs> he obviously a very, a very talented, talented guy. individual. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, yeah, look, I do remember we had a um, party in the. We sort of had to try to have a party in our hotel room at the hotel. No, we did have a party. Off, they told us off for making a noise. They did. And, but we did have everybody because all the Kiwis that won Oscars that night, we, we brought them around and we lined them all up. And there was about how many? 13? I, I don't know how many. I mean, because it was just all these Oscars lined, yeah, lined were, up on the table. Yeah, there were about 20 with the, with pretty, the, with the yeah, sometimes guys people and the sound guys. Win yeah. multiples, yeah. And um, and we were and we were really enjoying ourselves, and the hotel ca- came and told us to shut up and be quiet. We said we've just won all these Oscars. Oh, no, 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 no. We have to, no, no. Yeah. It was actually go to bed. A, yeah, it was. An, it was a, we couldn't really have a proper proper Kiwi party. We know we know how to party, and we couldn't get ourselves. We couldn't we couldn't get a, a hit of steam going that, that night because that's the hotel. I know a funny story from that night, which we weren't at, but. Um, but I have to tell it because it's one of my favourite stories mm-hmm. on that night. So um, back in New Zealand, your young kids at that stage, mm-hmm. very young, Billy and Katie were watching. And um, when Steven Spielberg opened the last envelope, he said, it's a clean sweep. And apparently Billy was desperately upset because he thought a clean sweep had won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he burst into tears. He did. He, he, did. he burst into tears because he was oh. expecting that Stephen to say, yeah, and the reward goes to the to Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and it was a, it's a clean sweep, and he, and he burst into tears, <laughs> thinking, thinking that was the name of a film. Oh, the shock of the moment. <laughs> and I told Stephen, Stephen, that he, and he, he was incredibly, he was in, he, guilt flooded into his face. He was he was absolutely win, wincing, wincing with guilt. Yeah. Uh, he said, oh no, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I didn't, want, I didn't mean that. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a couple of quick ones uh, before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, uh, so, Peter, a couple of years ago, uh, we ran a, a piece where we had uh, filmmakers and actors asking questions to you and one of those yeah. questions was from Kit Harrington who mm. asked uh, if you watched Game of Thrones and your answer was uh, that you hadn't watched it yet because you were really busy working on The Hobbit but once The Hobbit was finished you were going to go and watch it so uh, have you watched Game of Thrones yet uh, and if so who do you think is going to end up on the Iron Throne uh, do you have a favourite episode what are you, what's your take no, on no, Game I've been really busy working on Mortal Engines and, and, yeah. and the World War One documentary, so no, I haven't seen it mm-hmm. yet. I mean, I, was, I was, didn't mean to be, mis- to be misleading, but um, I, I, um, no, I, look, I, I haven't seen a single episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, 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 because, not because I have an attitude about it, it's mm-hmm. just because I am. But I will, I, I will promise that I'll, I'll binge on it at some point mm-hmm. um, in the future. Okay, you so, have to, and there yeah, is... The battle scene, no, there's a battle scene uh, in there which I think is stunning and worthy of 
any film mm-hmm. and it's in season six which was a phenomenal piece of filmmaking so number one, well, can, you wait, can you can you can you answer the question please? okay i will okay uh i think who do i think who do i think um i think kit's got a pretty good shot mm-hmm. i have to say um and or probably possibly no one maybe that's thrown mm. i mean if it's uh, not not knowing anything about it if it's uh cleverly written piece of work it's going to be the last person that you expect it to be that's well my, that's just my guess I'm just purely guessing in a sort of sort of Agatha Christie type way no I, I'm a uh, huge Game of Thrones okay, fan and show. also I have to say we show. have had lunch with George, George Martin who was mm-hmm. one of the nicest uh, guys um, so that was a bit of a fangirl moment for me amazing to say and um, Peter, one show I know you do watch and you're a big fan of is, is Doctor Who. Yes. Um, have you been watching the latest series? Uh, have you seen Jodie Whittaker's incarnation of the I Doctor? I haven't, actually. I, 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 I'm, I'm intending to catch up with it. But this, la- this last period, because um, it only came on about three months ago or something. Yes, yeah, started a couple of weeks and, ago. And it's just like we've been in post-production on these two, two movies at the same time. It's been really intense working all, all through the night on some nights. So... Um, so no, I, I don't want to be giving excuses, but it's um, but I, it's some that's something I do want to catch up with pretty sure, over over Christmas probably yeah, yep. So unfortunately, I, I, I'm looking. You'll have to, to watch it. it with Katie. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, yeah, yep. That's what we normally do. Doctor Who and The Walking Dead. I haven't seen the last whole si- last season of The Walking Dead, which she and I watch all the time either because so, I mean, it has been phenomenally busy over these last few months. But um, I've got some good stuff lined up to watch, watch, over, watch over Christmas, that's for sure. Fantastic. Well, yeah. thank you both so much for your time. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you. That was Peter Jackson and Philip Boyens talking about Mortal Engines. And now we're going to try and get through tons of reviews in a relatively short space of time. Helen is doing a kind of ah face, yeah. uh, which means we will start with you, Helen. And yes. you know what? We're going to start with Roma. Okay, start sure. With Roma? Yeah, Let's start with Roma, yeah. which is Alfonso Cuaron's movie. It is uh, Alfonso Cuaron's sort of... Um uh, based on his own experience growing up with with uh, a nanny in uh, Mexico City in 1970, um, and and sort of extrapolated from there, it's a gorgeously shot black and white movie. It's going to be on Netflix, of course, but if you can see it in a cinema, genuinely, I know we always say this, but it really, really is worth it. Um, it's the story. It, it's it. I guess we call it semi semi autobiographical because it comes from his experience, but mm-hmm, it is not mm-hmm. focused on a, bo- a young boy character. It's focused no. on uh, a maid in a sort of middle class Mexican household. Uh, her name's uh, um, well, she's known as Cleo. Uh, she's played by Yalitza Aparicio. And she does everything. She looks after the kids. She she does the cleaning. She does the washing. She's not alone. There, There's other another member of the household staff, but she's very much kind of taking the burden of looking after the family. Um, and it's really just a look at, at her life and this, this strange position of someone who is so close to this busy, big family of kids um, and yet so divorced from them and so, you know, um, outside their experience she doesn't have their comfort their sense of security their sense of ease um, there's a drama within the family um, as the the father of the family basically turns out to be not so reliable um, but it is it's really focused it keeps the focus on her and it's mm-hmm. very much her mm-hmm. story and it's a it's a small film you know you'd be hard pressed to say that a lot happens plot wise but what does happen is just intensely moving intensely involving it's um, it's one of the most beautiful films of the year and also one of the most powerful. Um, it's it's really 
there, there's a couple of scenes in this that will absolutely break your heart and mm. uh, and, and are absolutely up there with the best of the year. Uh, you will see why it's you know in the talk for Oscars, but it's not, also yeah. not a cynical film. It's not a film made as an Oscar grabber. Mm. It's a film made from a p- place of real feeling, and you you sense that in every frame. It's gorgeous. And you know that five star conversation we were having at the beginning yeah, of the podcast for sure. Yeah. yeah. This is a five star one, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved it. It's it's slow. It's a slow burn. So you know, go in with that in mind. You know, in the in the same way that you get into you, you know, you have to set your pace expectations for a Terrence Malick film or something like this. Mm-hmm. You have to set your pace expectations for this. This is not gravity. This is not sort of an action mm. packed story. Even in the way that was, this is much more meditative and slow. But it is absolutely worth worth sticking with it. You could say after gravity, he's been brought back down to earth. This movie. What kind of monster would make that kind of pun about a film this beautiful, though? This kind of monster. Yeah. Right here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's a beautiful looking film as well. I mean, we had that great piece it's in gorgeous, Empire yeah. where he picked out. It's one of those films where you know, they, they said about Raging Bull, they said about Blade Runner that you can take any image from the film yes. and stick it on the wall of an art gallery. Yes. Uh, you try doing that, by the way, art galleries will ask you to leave. But uh, you could do it with this film and it's so lovely. And he's his own DP. Uh, there's no, is, there's yes. no Chivo this time around. No Chivo. Um, and he, he might, you know, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that he could win an Oscar himself. And, and then, you know, what's going to happen? Is Chivo going to be jealous? <gasps> no, he's going to be totally fine. He's got three. It's going to be fine. But He's probably trying to figure out how to, how to make a film with no lights or no camera. <laughs> And he'll probably make it work. He probably would. Yeah. So five stars then. Yes. For Roma. Try and get to the cinema this week. It is around the country. It has been playing in cinemas uh, in limited release for the last couple of weeks. But do try and see it in the cinema. But if not, Netflix is fine. Yeah. Maybe just not, as Ted Sarandos recently said, on your phone. Just maybe oh, not God, on no. your phone. No, not on your phone, please. Um, on TV. Yeah. Okay. Uh, should we move on to the other five star movie this week? Yes. Aquaman. No, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Aquaman in a second. And it is a lot of fun. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Who wants to take this one? Ben, you should go into the Spider-Verse. Um, so this is uh, an animated Spider-Man film. Uh, it's from Sony. So this one focuses on Miles Morales, who's a different incarnation of Spider-Man. And it's sort of an origin story for him, but it also brings in all these different kind of alternate universe Spider-Men <laughs> and Spider-Women and Spider-Robots and, and Spider-Pigs spider pigs, um, that all come crashing into one reality that is is Miles Morales' reality. It's produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller behind kind of the, the Lego movie and uh, Jump Street. And it really has that kind of genius concept, comedy craziness behind it. The animation in the film is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a bit 2D and a bit 3D at the same time. And it has this sort of comic booky texture to it. It looks unlike anything else you've seen before. Oh, I, I genuinely think this might be one of the biggest kind of leaps in mainstream animation since something like Toy Story, where it just is its own style that doesn't feel like it's copying anything anyone else is doing. And it feels that animation feels very tied into the comic bookiness and the the multiple reality nature of the story. There is some amazing casting here. You've got Nick Cage playing mm-hmm. one of the other Spider-Men. He's Spider-Man noir. Jesus. He comes from the 30s. He's got a big flowing cape and he speaks in all these kind of gravelly... Um, like noir voiceover kind mm-hmm. of uh, style. He's so good. Then you've got uh, Penny Parker, who is um, a Japanese teenager from the far future who hasn't been bitten by a spider, but she's got a big spider robot. And seeing Which all of these... Which has a spider inside it. Yeah. Who is yes. her best friend. With whom she has a psychic link. Yeah. Seeing all of these... <laughs> 
like so varied kind of incarnations of the characters come together um, is such a joy and the film is hilarious as well I, it's Isn't one it? of the funniest films I've seen all year so funny it's so good this is just what's funny about this is this is a film that should not have been good. Like, no. do you know what I mean? Like, on paper, this is a disaster. And yet, it's extraordinary and it's joyous and it's hilarious and it's epic and it's cinematic. And a couple of the shots in it are pure art. Yeah. It's just. I mean, talk, talk about films you can hang on the wall of a gallery. Yeah. This is another one. Mm. And, and it would be a sold out exhibition, I think. Um, mm. It's 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 practically perfect, honestly. Fantastic voice work from all the cast. Yeah. It really is. Um, I, I, yeah, I really don't have any complaints about yeah. it. I think uh, Shamik Moore does a really, really great job yeah. as Miles Morales. There are several Peter Parkers here. I won't give too much away, but I will mm. say the one we know about is Jake Johnson, who's more of a schlubby Peter Parker, and he's very, very funny in this as well. Uh, some really great voice work all, all, all the way through. Surprises, twists yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, one of the twists I found that surprised me was that I it, it moved me. I found this this thing quite emotional. Uh, and it's really tricky. I love Spider-Man. I love, I love for the most part, the Spider-Man movies. To get a tune out of as well worn a riff as this takes some some incredible craftsmanship. And uh, hats off the three directors. So you got Rodney Rothman, Peter Ramsey, and Bob Persichetti, but also the producers and co-writer uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who who know what they're doing in this medium. That is for sure. And uh, with every passing movie that they make, you start to think, you know what, guys? Maybe they should have been allowed to finish solo. Seriously. Five stars then for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And that brings us on to our third five-star movie of this week, which is Aquaman. <laughs> well, I don't remember putting five on the end of my review, Chris. I, I rounded up. Okay. So this is, uh, yes, Aquaman's uh, film of his own, finally. Um, it is, it's completely bonkers. It's completely and utterly, completely bonkers. I can't. I can't stress that enough. I think the way to sum this movie up is it's the most movie ever made. It's the most movie ever made. Let's say, right, that someone came up to you and said, I've never seen a blockbuster. I've spent my whole life watching art heist movies. I want to see the blockbusters, but I only have the money for one film. Yeah. This is the film yeah. that you tell them to see because it, like, in, genuinely, in a 20-minute stretch, it sort of does Clash of the Titans and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Tron and Jurassic Park for some reason. <laughs> and A little and, bit uh, of Mamma Mia in there. Yeah. I mean, a little yeah. bit, I mean, a bit of Hunt for Red October, just, yeah. you know, for good measure. Like, every, every, it's everything. It's a compilation of every blockbuster ever made yes. in one place, but also has people riding sharks, fighting giant crabs. Yes, and riding on giant seahorses. Don't forget the giant seahorses. Never forget the giant seahorses. And they all they all roar, which is apparently impossible for a shark. And I'd like to uh, shout out to Cat Brown for telling me that. Thank you. Um, but it, it's it it makes no sense at, at all. all. At um, all. And I will say, it, it, one of my big problems with this film is that every time the film actually focuses on Jason Momoa's the character that he's doing, which is basically Jason Momoa. Yeah. Oh, for Curry. Yeah. Um, He's he's super charming. He's the most charming, mm. and and it happens about twice in the film for about a minute each because there's so much other shit going it, on. It can't stay still. It can't stay still. It can't, it's, gotta, it's, it's like a hedgehog it, on steroids. It it's just won't stop. I mean, there, there's a bit early on where there's a, a human submarine fires on this meeting of Atlantean leaders. In any other film, that would be the plot. It'd be like we've got to prove the humans didn't do this, so we don't start a war with the surface. It's never mentioned again. <laughs> not ever. It's just not a thing. Like, none of it makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and yet, I was thoroughly entertained throughout. Yeah. 
because there was just so much shit being thrown at me um, yeah. that it, it can't help but be kind of entertaining. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is absolutely true. I just love that Jason Momoa is every single 80s movie rolled into one person. In the first of all, no one flicks their hair quite like Jason Momoa Oh my Momoa God, it's does. amazing. But there's a bit where he's wandering around topless. He has a wallet chain, for God's sake. And every time he looks at the camera, there's a power cord. It's just <laughs> extraordinary. It's the first one where you've actually felt they're in on the joke. Do you know what I mean? They understand that this is ridiculous. Although, and I will say that... I really hope they are, man. That feeling actually fluctuates in the film. There are scenes where you're like, they are in on the joke. And there are scenes where you're like, they're really not. And it goes backwards and forth between the two. And some of the dialogue is absolutely shocking. Some of the dialogue and storytelling. There's there's a bit where two bad guys stop in the middle of a heist (laughs) to have a a bonding moment. So first of all, you're like, well, one of you is going to die any second now. And also, have you no sense of occasion? There's a scene in this movie where a character legitimately plays the panpipes. And (laughs) I can't tell whether the movie's having a joke or not. I can't tell whether people think that's funny or not. But... You know, anyway, but uh, equally, there are moments in this movie where it puts things on the big screen I've never seen before. Mm. Sometimes things I didn't know I wanted to see before, but that's fine. The, the visuals in this movie are astonishing. There are things towards the end where it is the most comic book movie ever made. It is light years beyond anything that, you know, is presented to us even in Infinity War or Thor Ragnarok. It really, really, really goes for it. Like huge armies clashing massive monsters, all sorts of things. Like, everything... There's nothing that's not in this movie. Mm. Even the kitchen sink has superpowers in this film. Yeah. It is... It is... It is just everything in one film. It's absolutely exhausting. It's like two and a half hours long, and it's... I came out of it just... Yet just kind of wrung out, because it is trying so hard the whole time. And on the one hand, it's really nice to see DC really trying there is a lot of effort here to 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 make this a really big film to make it an event film to make sure that if this is the aquaman film they're going to do they do as much aquaman as they can and because the character is fundamentally ridiculous like yeah. like Neymar the submariner it's a bloke who lives underwater who runs around mm-hmm. and he's got superpowers and all sorts of stuff so you got to play into that and and one of the things that's made a lot of the marvel films work is not trying to run away from what those kind of comic booky origins are it's mm. leaning into it and just and just trust that the yeah. concept works and this goes all in on that but it's trying so hard all the time that it also makes you realize how effortless some of the comic book feel films feel by comparison and you will have a good time but you might also feel like you've been pummeled into having a good time <laughs> you could also get rid of at least one of the subplots we'll get into this as well and trim like 45 minutes from this mm-hmm. film and lose nothing yeah uh, and it's, an, it's another one of those films that has an intensely immensely capable woman who you kind of feel like should be able to just sort this shit out herself, Mm. basically waiting around for a chosen one male who will come along and save everybody and And then having to explain how to do the most basic tasks to that someone. So it's it's a little frustrating in in, in that sense. Um, Amber Heard basically is dressed as the Little Mermaid and... um, (laughs) She is Ariel, isn't she? She is, Mm. and she's inflicted with a terrible wig and and yet she still makes it work, so fair play to her. Excellent water hair. That's true. The, uh, the CG and the water yeah. hair is amazing. It's a, you know, it's it's almost impossible to dislike. Although I know, uh, I know some people, Robbie Collin, for example, think it's legitimately a bad film. But it's like I say, every time there's something bad, something bonkers happens three minutes later. So yeah. 
the, yeah. the bad is gone. So three I, stars. I gave it three stars. It's, yeah. it's uh, you know, we were just saying about Speed yeah. Racer. It's it's somewhere between a one and a five. You know, <laughs> yeah. so. Agreed, Helen. In fact, but I wouldn't say this is just between one and five stars. I say that Aquaman is between one and a thousand stars. <laughs> okay. Honestly, awarded as many stars as you like. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. Which brings us on to the roundup. We're doing a roundup of the uh, the rest of the movies that are out this week. Uh, mentioned Dispatches, uh, Mortal Engines. We gave that three stars. Helen, why? Uh, I, I liked it more than I expected to. I was not a fan of the book particularly. I find it really um, all over the place a little bit in terms of plotting and I thought this one really streamlined it, made it elegant. I mean, the entire last act is basically lifted from Star Wars um, so it's a little bit familiar in places but it managed to do a pretty good job of selling the whole cities you know, running around the world on tank tracks and in a, in a way that was better than I expected. So I, I yeah. feel the urge to chip in and say I hated this movie. Yeah. I thought it was an absolutely atrocious mess and it bored me absolutely rigid. Uh, I was not a fan at all. Ben, you probably fall somewhere between the two of us, I'm between you? the two of you. I think the opening chase sequence is amazing, but the film kind of peaks there. Uh-huh. Um, I really like Hera Hilmar, who's the sort yeah, of lead great. heroine in it, but okay. um, I thought Robert Sheehan is insanely miscast in this, and that kind of tanked quite a lot of the film for me. Mm. Interesting. What would you do if I told you that Aaron Sorkin had done a polish on Mortal Engines? Well then it would be a four-star masterpiece. I think we all agree. As it stands, I would give it two. Okay. And that would be generous. But we, and Empire, and Helen gave it three. So (laughs) three stars is a recommendation for Mortal Engines. And uh, lastly this week we have... Actually, no, not lastly this week. uh, Because uh, Lars von Trier is back, the arch provocateur with his serial killer movie, The House That Jack Built. And we gave it two stars. Just two stars for that uh, movie and we'll move swiftly on to Free mm. Solo which is fantastic this and this is a sequel to Star Wars it's kind of a sequel to Valley Uprising if you've seen that on Netflix but not actually in any way related okay. in terms of filmmaking team um, but it does feature one of the same guys Alex Honnold is a big wall climber he's a, he's a mountain climber generally but he's known for his big walls um, which is basically <laughs> going straight up something that is vertical um, and he recently last year uh, challenged himself to f- climb El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. It's my second favorite American captain, and it is—it's amazing. It's what—it's what James T. Kirk is climbing at the beginning of Star Trek Five, right? Your third favorite American captain. Yes, obviously. Okay. Yeah, um, and uh, like he only survives the attempt because Spock is there with his anti-gravity boots, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- Alex Honnold did it without Spock, without ropes without anything he did it with a small bag of chalk to dry the sweat on his fingers it's literally impossible he is a literal superhero I swear to god he is the man that Tom Cruise wishes he were he's incredible and this is the story of him basically tackling El Capitan and it is fascinating it's the the climbing photography is amazing and the the personal stuff is is really personal and really insightful and I just adored it I give it four stars as someone who has a massive 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 fear of heights this movie sounds like it will ship me up something <laughs> it would absolutely destroy you it great. will destroy you but it is cannot wait it is great free solo uh, which of course Ron Howard was brought in to replace uh, the original director <laughs> <laughs> just a bit of a joke there uh, four stars then four stars for Free Solo and if you don't fancy all this blockbuster shenanigans over the weekend then maybe go and check out Free Solo when of course you're not watching Roma on there Netflix you go. There you go. Uh, and that is it for this week's bumper packed Empire podcast join us next week for the last regular part of the year very sad in fact Helen you're not going to be on that one you're going to be away so yeah. maybe you want to wish people Merry Christmas I don't know I, don't I mean you know yeah. Merry Christmas, I'm kidding. Yeah, Merry Christmas, you old buildings and loan. Um, so, yeah, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined... Oh, who's on next week's show? Who's the last guest for the year? Who is it? 
Is there anyone? Could we get anyone good though, Chris? Is there any chance of getting somebody like that would be exciting for us? Anyone who you're a massive fan of? I mean, yeah, but somebody who you're a massive fan of too. You know, I want to be fair here, Chris. We'd need to get someone who has rewritten the book on an art form of late and who's had a massive cultural impact, and also who's literally written a book for a Broadway show, and and that that has just sort of changed what we think theatre can do. Well, and, and then gone on to you know write songs for films like Star Wars. Or it's Moana. Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki, isn't it? Oh it is. God. It is. <laughs> Join us next week for more Formula Later Fun. Where we'll be joined by those two blokes from Supernatural. Hey, Chevy De Morgan's coming back for episode three hundred. That's I exciting. Know. I saw that. Yeah, Papa Winchester's back. Christmas came early. His nips are out. What? <laughs> It's going to be a big shirtless special, isn't it? You know, it's no just, one is it's, ever it's, shirtless, you, Chris. Are you going to work him into your Castiel slash fiction? <laughs> this has gone weird very quickly, hasn't it? Anyway, it's I Lin-Mama can't... Miranda. Yay! Lin-Mama Miranda oh is the guest on next week's show. Whoa. And we uh, do not actually endorse Wincest. We don't endorse Wincest. We don't endorse injecting hedgehogs with steroids. I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> Okay. Really important, guys. Very, very important indeed. So do join us for that. That happened yesterday, Helen and I. Not, uh, not the hedgehog inge- injection. No, that did or, not or the wincest. None no, of that happened. None of that happened. None of that happened. But, but we did speak to Lynn Manuel Miranda, and I think we managed to hold it together. I think we mostly did. Honestly, it's a blur. It is a blur. The, the last, the, the first thing I remember afterwards is when the PR came in and, and woke us up. Yeah. So I assume it went well because they probably wouldn't yeah. have woken us up if it had gone wrong, right? He must have lincepted us. <gasps> that, that makes sense. It does make sense, doesn't it? Anyway, that's on next week's show. Yay. Last regular podcast of the year. But after that, we have the review of the year special as well. Our Creed 2 supporter special is up. It will be up by the time I, I, I finish this. Uh, our Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse spoiler special is up on Monday or Tuesday. Our Aquaman spoiler special is up around the 24th of December. I realise it's Christmas Eve. I will schedule it so I don't have to work on Christmas Eve. And our Bumblebee spoiler special will be up around the 27th or so. <laughs> and the review of the year. Our review of the year will be up on the 28th. <laughs> and the Pilot TV the podcast, podcast is out on Monday. I'm cutting that bit out. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Uh, it's goodbye from Ben Travis. Goodbye. And how much do you... I, I no, you're going to be back next week. Are you going to be on next week's show? Oh, well, I, I don't know. Uh, if not, Merry Christmas, everybody. Oh, that's nice. It's so nice. Why didn't you say that? Why didn't I? What did I say? It's goodbye from James Dyer. Bar humbug. Yeah, there we go. On brand. (laughs) Grinchy as ever. The Grinch. That was terrifying. Has the Grinch been taking steroids as well? (laughs) (laughs) That was a carry Grinch, uh, more than a Cumberbatch Grinch. Okay. (laughs) What? Jim Carrey played the Grinch. Jim Carrey played the Grinch. I know he did, but not not like that. He was quite growly. He was quite guttural. Oh, guess. Okay. Anyway, uh, it's also goodbye from me. I am off to inject some... No. No, no, No. Chris. Can I inject some steroids into a meringue? No, no, no. You could ship some Winchesters. All right, what am I going to do with all these steroids? Anyway, I'll figure it out. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.